welcome to the Power of Perspective podcast with Stephen Ritchie, a podcast that explores the diverse viewpoints that shape our world. I'm your host, Stephen, and in today's episode, I'm joined by a good friend of mine and veteran board gamer, Jordan. Together, we'll dive into the fascinating world of board game design, the joy of playing, and the impact of Kickstarter, and vibrant communities that thrive around these tabletop adventures. The way that we both interact with the hobby is very, like for me, it's more about like, I want to have particular games, and like, if someone comes and they have like a game that, I, that is their favorite game, I know a lot of games, so even if I don't own them, I can be like, okay, you like this mechanic in a game, or this style of game, I have a game like that that we can play, and like, maybe it becomes a new game that people really enjoy, you know? So that that's the way that I kind of think of it as well yeah you've got like two types of sort of people <laughs> in a way you've got like uh, collectors who yeah. just like to own thing they like the appeal of having it and the variety and then you've got um avid players and then you've got mm-hmm. sort of people in the middle and as you said for yourself you like to cater to a nice sort of crowd and have a bit of everything which is quite cool yeah you know, I, I think most most people have that sort of setup where it's like even like like you know you, you keep your collection very curated so like even you would have games that like you might not particularly like the best but you know this works with this crowd you know like uh, uh, cosmic encounters like you know there's a certain group where like that is always going to go well with that group yeah. you know or like Dune. You've got a group who's like, yeah, that's going to exactly. go with these guys, you know? The, the great thing in sort of uh, modern board gaming is that there's a game for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very You know, expensive. your crowd, you can sort of have a lot of fun of bringing them an experience. Well, how do you, I mean, like, you know, as someone who does often deal with new players, what sort of um, approach do you take to getting people into the hobby? Like, obviously, you could choose to host a game where it's like, whatever that Trials in Africa game is, that's like three days long, and like, you bring it to a board game night, and you're like, cool, who wants to try this out? You know, like, obviously, you know, that's not going to go well that's probably going to kick people away from the hobby so like what would you say is the opposite of that what's like something that, that would hook the general person in oh so to get people hooked on on into board gaming in general yeah or even like can you like suss out a person and be like cool you know this person plays a lot of strategic pc games i know a game that they would like versus this person has never played a video game or done any strategic thing in their life i know what they would <laughs> like to play so for me i've sort of been doing this I suppose a long time from university i sort of got into the gaming society and i sort of started running a lot of community and I found with people there's exactly that there's a certain type of background or personality you know personality sort of plays a lot into the type of games that people like and sort of industry there's also a thing experience right so if you're new to the hobby generally that sort of means that you'd need games with lower complexity and sort of a style that's kind of more fun sort of exciting quick thrills but sometimes you know people are very maybe their video game background or they're very logically thinking or strategic and they'll start the hobby and they'll go into uh, complex and advanced games you know with lots of moving parts and strategy and thinking and very competitive there's such a broad sort of range of fun aspects to games now but people like me i'm quite picky um I think you're a bit more open, but even you've got quite favorite sort of style. So yes, um, experience, I ask, what kind of games have you played? The, the famous answer is Monopoly, 30 yeah. seconds, you know. Even, well, nowadays, I mean, you know, with the whole modern history, a lot of people have been playing Catan, even though they don't know about any other games. Catan, yes, Catan's yeah. huge. I mean, that's like, speaking of modern games, like 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to say that. You know, like, I've got friends who I went to university with, who at that time, you know, like person specifically that I was friends with, was a photographer and a surfer. So like, he was not at all 
a typical what I would consider a board game player. But um, you know, he was a programmer, so in general, programmers and board games do go well together. So, so you know, yeah, um, a bit of a trend, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but like, even at the time back then, I, I didn't think to like be like, hey, you might like board games, you know, to like everyone in my class. But there were some people who I knew, like, okay, this guy plays like a ton of Civilization, so like, you obviously would like games that are very oh, similar to such that. a like sort of player who's well, they enjoy board games. Yeah. Uh, over the years, I've, my um, perceptions of who that person is has changed. You know, like before, I'd be like a, a person who's like a super nerdy gamer type of person would play board games. But it's it's everyone. Like I mean, like yeah, I said, yeah. this guy that I knew, he literally was like, a, he's like a surfer, mm-hmm. and he used to do like photography for like hip hop dancing events and stuff and he still does photography and stuff this particular guy nowadays nearly every Friday he's got like a regular Catan game that he plays all the time you know even though it's 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 the same game of Catan every time I you know I, I message the stuff and say oh yeah like I see you playing Catan again you want to try like I don't know Small World or like yeah, there's yeah, all these other games the, you know? in there, right? yeah, yeah to try like get people more into it you know what I mean yeah, yeah. so and I feel like that that's the other thing is some people think that you have to especially because of the sort of hype culture that there is you need to always be playing whatever the new one is there's always yeah, like cult of the new exactly. yeah exactly like i mean recently you know it's now 2023 we had john company was one that everyone was looking at and there was uh some new uwe rosenberg game that everyone was checking out you know there's always like that new thing that's coming out that people are going for like backing on kickstarter or whatever yeah, so, yes yes and um, there's sort of uh stories where you'll have that friend and every time you go to their house and play it's a new game, game. Yeah. there's a million rules <laughs> yeah. and you're like well that was really cool to to learn the next time i play that i'm super excited the plot yeah. twist is you're never playing it again well yeah exactly game. <laughs> but, but I mean that, that's what I mean like people get suckered into feeling like that's what they have to do but yes. like it's just not the case like I mean I mean just me and you for instance we have a pretty regular like 6 or 8 or whatever the max count is for Dune I mean we play Dune like 10, 12 times and yeah, that's like one of our favourites yeah. yeah and that's like a 6 hour long game sometimes when yeah. it gets long and that's you know that's fine like if that, if that was the only game you owned you could get a lot of plays of it because there's just so many people that like playing it and even playing with the same people over and over again, it's one of those games where, like, the more you play, the more interesting it gets. Yeah. So finding games like that can be another thing that some people do. You know, like, some people only play Twilight Imperium, or some people yes, only play... your Holy Grail game. That's just yeah, to go yeah. to. It's always that guaranteed kind of fun experience. And every time you play, you sort of, like, almost meta game. You sort of know how people play, and that'll change how you play. And you'll learn the intricacies of the strategy. And yeah, exactly. So, like, when you first start and no one knows any of the rules, everyone's, like, sort of playing the same way, where they're like, okay, cool, uh, I'm going to try and do this thing because it gets me towards the goal. But then, like, the more you play, you might find, like, because especially asymmetric power games, like, some race might be better at actually, like, not going for the goal and instead killing off all the other players. And, like, that's actually how they win. And, like, that becomes that person's strategy. And then everyone knows, okay, this guy's just going to kill us all. So, like, don't ally with him or, like, don't do stuff with him because, like, he's not going to help you in the end or whatever, you know? So that yeah. that creates, like, an interesting dynamic within one, one board game, you know, out of, like, the thousands that there are. And even then, like, that's, like, a complicated game. But, like, a small game like um, Love Letter, for instance. I mean, in this house, I've probably played Love Letter, like, maybe 400 times. I literally play it all the time whenever I play it with my family because it's a super short game. The rules are like on every card. Every card you have tells you how to play the game. And other than knowing what the card does, the game is just you start with a card, you draw a card, and then you play one of the two cards in your hand. Like that's the whole game. So like a game like that as well. And it's also it's like a quite a cheap game from when I remember when I got it, it was like, I don't know, hundred bucks or something. So, you know, like that can also be a good way to get into the hobby as like someone who doesn't own anything. And, you know, even Space-wise, like, you know, if you're living in, like, a studio apartment and, like, barely have space for, like, a space case on your kitchen table or something, 
like a small card game does well you know especially if it's like even just playing cards you know like there's so many new modern ways i don't know if you've seen um i think it's called regicide that's a game using a deck of cards that you probably already have lying around at home and that's like a new game someone's come up with in 2023 so you know like it's very easy to the the accessibility points of the hobby are, are quite wide and even within that there's like system games you know like Maybe you don't like generic board games. Maybe you like Magic the Gathering or Warhammer or Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon or something. Those communities still exist and they do, you know, play games regularly at game nights and have championships locally and all this other stuff. So, you know, there's lots of ways to, to get into it, I would say. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the that's the great thing now. So there's communities and certain communities are very much based around certain games and genres. And there's this general, you know, people out there looking for people to play with. And then there's public groups and so on. And I think, you know, running meetups, if some, a person approaches a meetup, there's the one thing is experience level. And then I ask, you know, have, have you played sort of uh, strategy games? I actually do ask sometimes, have you played video games? If they do software, that's definitely a follow-up question. And you're right, it can be like all walks of life um, because sort of geek culture has sort of evolved from just being that guy hiding in his dark little cave in his room <laughs> to like being everyone, right? And that personality is the next thing. Are, are they very like calm and calculating or do they, are they just there for fun? How easily do they learn? This is why you normally start with an easier game because you mm -hmm. can immediately see the person's sort of ability and familiarity of picking up complex concepts and rules. Yeah, yeah. And so if there's a quick just, they got it immediately, they know the strategy. Um, yeah, they can be like, oh, okay, I got yeah, a yeah. perfect next game to play, you know, like... <laughs> Yeah, and you yeah. look for what they enjoy about. It. Do they enjoy the little take that, of like screw your friend, or do they enjoy the like silliness the of some games, the or silliness, the laughing, ra yeah, randomness? Or some people love like, like I mean, uh, you know, not gonna mention names, but there's someone that we played with recently where like this person is a super good board gamer. Like they can pick up rules easily. They know how to do complex all that stuff, but they just hate randomness there's a lot of games that have randomness where it's like when you go into the game you know there's a chance that you can like pick up a card and the card just says you die so <laughs> some people think that's really funny and they're like ah you know cool let's restart guys cool this guy died that was really hilarious you know like ah he thought he was gonna do this but actually this thing wildly changed his move because of this other thing yeah some people love that but then some people are like they pick up that card and like that ruins the rest of the night for them. Because yes. they're like, I had, had I had this whole strategy in my head and now like, you know, <laughs> this is now affected yeah. it, you know. Personality sort of leads in, lead into different types of frustrations and like appreciations. And so if you're very calm, calculated and you're very experienced sometimes, you won't like randomness because you like the reward of being able to pull up a strategy, pull just like in, enjoy the fun. And if they have to think too hard, they're like, well, I just left work, you know, now I'm coming to my second job, you know, why, why would I do this? Yeah, um, yeah, especially, um, yeah, that's something as well for like with brain burners, you know, like there's all these certain games like Guy Project or Terra Mystica or any like um, uh, Lacerda game, you know, like Cam NEV and some of these other games. Some of those games are going to be three hours of like each person having half an hour turn because they just need to think about every single action they could take. Some people really like that. Like, I don't mind that, but I can see like some people just don't want that, you know, especially like if you work in a job where you have to think a lot, it does start to feel like, oh, like, you know, this is going to really be like a two hour thing where I'm giving these people a chance to play the game. But part of that is like, me unfortunately having to burn my brain out and then I go home and like yeah. don't want to do anything you know whereas like other people go there and they're like you know I'm so bored today I can't wait to like really get those neurons activated doing this like yeah, complex yeah. strategy that I've <laughs> been thinking of all week you know like <laughs> exactly a different train of thought a different emotion and, and gambling as well like I mean there's a lot of people who I know that are like they would probably be gambling addicts if they were into gambling but it's, <laughs> instead oh. they do like 
blind betting games and like you know board games saved my life you know (laughs) i was on this path to hell and one day board games came and they fished me out of the gutter and now i'm a new man i've found a purpose yeah exactly i used to be at grand west every second day but uh, you know now now i just play blind betting games yeah yeah i I used to you know spend all my money on this sort of frivolous thing and now i just spend all my money on board games yeah exactly at least it's resale value yeah yeah This, now I enjoy poverty, so it's yeah. like it's all about the outlook, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not poverty if you can convert your assets to cash, you know what I mean? Like, you know, if you've got like, whatever, some like 7,000 Rand Kickstarter game that costs like 5,000 Rand in shipping to get here, you know, that 12,000 Rand could have gone to Grand West, but instead it's now yeah, yeah. in your cupboard. It's going to the people who really earn it, you know, the little yeah. indie developer trying to feed his family. Yeah, exactly, that's how you not can think of it. Not the big evil corporation, the wheel always turning. Yeah, uh, and, and, and then you go and buy like some Magic the Gathering card and it goes to like the worst company in the world. Yeah. I don't know if you saw recently what they did. Wizards of the Coast, right? Magic. Yeah, Hasbro slash Wizards of the Coast. So what happened to them semi-recently, one of the YouTubers who reviews cards for Magic the Gathering, obviously like he's a passionate Magic the Gathering player um, he was accidentally sent the wrong product so instead of being sent I think it was March of the Machines is the name of this particular product he was sent March of the Machines Aftermath which is a set that released after March of the Machines but he was sent it early by mistake before everyone else and he basically like took a video and he was like super excited like oh my god like this is so crazy that this could happen to me and like showing off cards and stuff. Yeah. And then Wizards of the Coast sent an organization called the Pinkertons to his house. And the Pinkertons, just so you know, for historical reasons, they used to be used by like people like the Rockefellers and stuff to assassinate union leaders and like... Oh, insane. And, the big know, boys, and, eh? and like yeah. break up riots and stuff. Like they have a super terrible reputation because they just like, you know, they were basically guard dogs of the rich. So like people would be like, oh, you know, this guy's going to like lobby to make sure that children can't work in factories anymore. Let's get rid of him, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They're the fixers. Yeah, literally the fixers. Like that's, the Pinkertons are like, that's that's their name. The Ray Donovans of modern times, yeah. Yes. Obviously, it was found out that these people did this. They went to his house, they like harassed his wife and made her cry and like threatened him and like, it was really bad. So, you know, that's currently a very big controversy that they're dealing with. And like, it's not even that new. It happened like a month ago, I think. But, like, even if now, if you go on, like, the Dungeons & Dragons Reddit, which is, like, not even the same product, but it's owned by the same people, a bunch of the comments will be, like, uh, you know, like, let's say they'll release some new book, and they'll be, like, oh, guys, this book comes out in a week. And then someone will be, there'll always be a comment that says something, like, oh, if I get it earlier, you're going to send the Pinkertons off to me, you know? Like, <laughs> so, like, it's been a PR nightmare for them. But, yes. uh, yeah, they just, like, in general, a lot of the stuff that uh, the bigger companies... Fantasy Flight Games is uh, used to be a bit like this, where they used to be, like, a good company... But then they got bought out by a bigger company or they just got super big. They kind of lose that client base, you know, like when they get in like a board of directors and it's all about money and stuff. So yes. like, you know, like magic has been like that as well. The thing is with a lot of these products is that like people will just keep buying it. And no matter yeah. how bad things get, there'll always be someone who's, well, you know, like I'm still going to buy this product. Or like yes. people that speculate it's worth money. Like there's people that literally their job is like they buy Magic the Gathering cards and then they sell them. You know, like that's how yeah, they make money. Yeah. It's, yeah. A lot of those big companies, some people choose not to support them on purpose. I am kind of like that where I don't buy any Games Workshop stuff. I try not to buy any Magic the Gathering stuff regularly. 
So like I buy particular sets. Like for instance, I really like Innistrad, which is like one of the planes in Magic the Gathering. So like it's got like vampires and werewolves and ghosts and things. When they release a new product that involves that particular plane story-wise, I'll probably buy that set because I like those cards. And they also do crossovers. So like they did one recently with um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And like I really like Dungeons and Dragons. So I bought a bunch of those cards. I'll buy specific sets, but I won't buy all of them. Like I didn't buy Brothers War, I didn't buy March of the Machine. The thing with bigger companies is they, mm. exactly, the people have this sort of fascination and almost like addiction to certain like games. And so they'll take advantage of this. And you know, there's a, this expansion market. It's almost like video games where they remove a bit of the content or design it in a way where there's just endless expansions and they all cost you know half or the full cost of a game and yeah like i, I think a famous example of this is uh not just these what, what i'd consider quote-unquote system games so like the big ones would obviously be pokemon Yu Yu, yeah, yeah all the classic tra- yeah. trading card and warrior yeah games. there's those but even in like just the normal quote-unquote board game industry there's like a game like dominion where dominion has like 50 expansions or whatever like it's insane they you know? overcapitalized yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but it's because like the base game did so well that they're like okay how do we like find more <laughs> things to add to this yeah grab those out doesn't milk it, you know? Yeah, exactly. And like Dominion's like a card game. Like it's literally just like a normal whatever deck building game. Yeah, we, like... we thank it for its service for kickstarting the deck building <laughs> in um, side of board games. But you know, yeah, it's yeah, at you its moment. To get it now. yeah. And also, it depends what kind of person you are. Like some people, as you said, especially in the board game hobby, there's a lot of like collectors like there's people who want or they quote unquote need yes completions right all the achievements yeah so like and and there's a lot of games that like they notoriously have a lot of expansions so like you can go down that rabbit hole and i don't advise people to do this because it's just so financially ruining like for example zombicide black plague a game that has so so many guest artist models that you can buy and like expansions 90 percent of them are not balanced for the game you could be playing with the base game and then you decide, oh, I'm going to play with this random expansion that I bought today for like 2,000 rand or whatever. Yeah. And it's like one new figurine in the game. And then that figurine is just OP. Like it just destroys yes, everything yeah. in the game. And makes it not fun because everyone else is like, cool, well, this guy's killing seven guys a turn. I'm killing one. I don't get to do anything. You know, like, yeah. So, and again, like with that particular game, because of the scarcity of some of these things and the fact that like it came out just before, like a few years before, basically, um, the big explosion of, of board gaming in the industry. You know, for its time, it made like, I don't know, a million dollars or something, which was like massive for that time. But like these days, half the campaigns you see, you know, like 10 a week make a, make a million dollars. Yeah, it, it came yes. out just before that big thing happened and everyone liked that game because that's what got a lot of people into the hobby. You know, you get expansions that are like, uh, there's one called like something, some crows or something. And that expansion is like, it literally adds like I think ten minis or something, and it's like yes, yes. it's like two thousand rand or something for that expansion to a game. Yes, and I imagine instead of buying this one expansion for a game that you're probably not going to play that much, you could go with that two thousand rand to the board game store and buy like five <laughs> other games. You know? Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's a it's a dark and dangerous path of getting too deep into the expansions. And yeah, they just add more variety, but they don't capitalize on improving the game, adding you know more interesting systems and mechanics. I suppose the problem in expansions is there's just a lot that add extra more ways to empty your pocket yeah. and don't really add anything of value. And I was going to say as well, like especially with the Kickstarter economy, like a lot of these things are like Marvel Zombicide, for instance, or like whatever the whatever the other Marvel one is, where a lot of the expansions are like it's a new hero, but they purposely make that person an expansion because they know everyone likes that guy. So it's like you know whatever, like let's say Spider Man. Like Spider Man is obviously like a super well known property in Marvel, so yes. they might have like a Marvel game. 
but Spider-Man's in the expansion. So like now, because you like Spider-Man and he's your favorite hero, now you have to buy that expansion. Well, at least you can play Ant-Man, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but like, you know, no one wants to One of the lesser ones, you know? (laughs) Yeah, so I think that would be my advice to a lot of people that like get hooked by the board gaming bug is like when you get started, the first thing I would do is rather just go to secondhand groups because a lot of the the time it's like you hear about some game that everyone likes. It's actually a game that's very widely available secondhand. So many groups will have one guy who has a copy and then no one else needs the copy so they sell it and stuff. So like I picked up some great games for like 75% off the no- the price I would be expecting to pay for it just because I was in a secondhand group and like someone happened to bring it up. I would start there and like don't just buy every single game and don't back every single Kickstarter yes. because like even though they've got that FOMO like you know uniqueness of something there's probably better games out there that do the thing that that game does that you can rather go for by getting on a secondhand market exactly you know? I think when you're building a collection maybe this is a good way to go into is that you need really you just need firstly know your crowd because a lot of people get excited about board games and they just want to buy everything and the other because if you have no one to play your game with as cool as it is it has all the flashy bits and miniatures which is the big thing that they sort of excite people about buying games for these days it can have all that right but you have no one to play with and board games is big or social thing and the other thing is you know in board gaming there's a lot of power creep and there's a lot of um reuse of mechanics and that's great for if you pick up game you can create familiarity easier oh you've seen that you build decks here or you have to you know capitalize on getting to certain actions before other players yeah. placement yeah worker placement dungeon crawling you know exactly like... <laughs> the, the whole host and so you really firstly you need to pick a mechanics good way to shop because if you've enjoyed like doing that kind of thing that kind of gambling you're probably going to enjoy it again but if you're having if you're enjoying it very well in a game like what's a good example of this I'd say maybe the betting mechanic like for example if you if you like the way that Rising Sun or uh, Revolution is another game you have this betting mechanic where like it's not the main game but it's a part of the game and like some yes. people really really like, like it blind bidding essentially yeah so like that's blind bidding but then like even just auction mechanics in general if you just like the fact that like oh there's this thing you can do in this game you have some resource and you can spend a bit of it but you're trying to like not spend all like you want to spend as little as you can but still get the thing you want like raw is a game where like that is the entire game so i, I was gonna say as well like board game geek is your friend they have every single genre you can think of on there so like if you specifically like like let's say you enjoy asymmetric powers with deck building and some sort of combat element you can like search by those tags and it'll show you here's all the games that have them in ranked order so then you'll know like okay i played uh unk and i really enjoyed it and unk is like number 200 on this list what's number one? Oh, number one is like rising sun or blood rage or something i know i liked unk and this is supposedly better in every way let me go look at that game you know so yes, that's yes. a good way to like find new games to play. Yeah, like the upvote thing where people have mm. sort of decided that these are the best. And if you're not convinced, you can just go check out YouTube, The Dice Tower is a fantastic channel. Mm-hmm. Um, any favorites from your side? Ugh. I've got too many, man. <laughs> the, <laughs> the main ones... Okay, I'll say the hype channels out there that sort of give you the news but also kind of shill games a little bit are Quackalope and Board Game Co. So I subscribe to them but I don't watch them. I only watch them if I'm already going to buy a game and I want to see what they have to say about it because they like push the positives quite a lot, which is nice if you already like the game um more reasonable i'd say League of games is quite a good one he's quite a small youtuber but like he is pretty good at predicting if games are going to be good or not um he's also got a very unique opinion so he plays a lot of imported japanese games which like you don't even get on the market his approach when he talks about mainstream games comes from a different area because he's played all these games no one else has played so that's very interesting room and board is possibly my favorite uh, board game channel he basically makes all these videos of like why you shouldn't back this game or like why you shouldn't believe the hype or whatever so he's and he's very opinionated and picky but he'll be open as well like he really really loves you know zombie side games so when a new zombie side comes out he just tells people openly like 
you know, I'm going to buy this game. So when you listen to all these five reasons of why it's a crap game, just know yes. I'm going to buy it anyway. You know, you need both yeah, sides think, of the coin, right? Yeah, yeah. So like, like a, fair, a fair opinion needs to be formed. Yeah, so he's, I think his name is uh, Chris, I can't remember, from Room and Board. He is possibly, I would say, the best channel to go to if you are looking at buying a game but you don't know anything about it. So like, let's say whatever, they come up with a new like Marvel game that everyone thinks is cool. He'll have a video of like, is it actually worth it or should you get a different version of a Marvel game that's similar or whatever. I also watch um, King of Average, Michael. Uh, I actually, I've written to him a few times because he's very good at the journalistic side of like pressuring companies to talk about stuff. So what he'll do is like, he'll look at a Kickstarter page and he'll say like, where's the rule book? Or like, why is this worded this way? Or like, he'll point out things that m might be problems. Like you'll say like, this company is actually owned by the same guy who owned this other company that went bankrupt because they, you know, they took all the money from their backers and didn't make the game. This game is not good, don't go for it. You know, like he like investigates that stuff. So I always watch him. And he's also got a few like, you know, not industry connections, but like, you know, he's spoken to people who produce games and like he gets news out of them that you won't find in a Kickstarter update. So like, for example, there's this company Mythic Games who recently have like gone into financial trouble and like, you know, they've got these issues going on, but like they've been very hush hush on their updates, but he actually just went and messaged them and he spoke to them and he's like, what's going on guys? Like, you know, what's going on with the money and whatever. And it's a very unfortunate situation with that particular company. But like he got information on his channel that you won't hear from anywhere else because you know he actually went and put in the work to get that information. King yeah. of Average, Room and Board. I'd say those are the top two. The big boys. Yeah. yeah, to get into. And so you've you know what you like. You sort of can find similar games and games that do better. Mm -hmm. And once you've sort of experienced a game that does it the best for you, it's hard to find um, to get things too many things like that. If I want semi cooperative, you know, zombie killing with dice. For me, Dead or Winter is there's no competition. And so for me, there's a similar game. I guess I'll play it, but in times where we, you know, there's limited times as adults, you got to pick your, your favorites and sort of value your time. Mm -hmm. And also like, there's like sort of, if you get like the sort of defining sort of, I guess, games of each sort of genre, that's sort of enough, right? You know, for me, like, I mean, my, my favorite social deduction game is uh, One Night Where We'll play that. And you have such a varied experience. You know, I love craziness and chaos, maybe more than mo most folk. Sort of the lies and deceit. It gets so, so so deep in such an easy to teach, clean experience that when you play many other social deduction games, it's just a lesser experience that's harder to get people to play. So this is the thing, right? It's really cool to check out what's out there, but at the same time, you just have a couple favorites that do what they're trying to do the best, and you sort of have like the full experience. And See, I, uh, I would say this is where we differ is that like, yeah. I know for you, like once you find the game that has a mechanic and it does a mechanic the best, that is your preferred game that you'll, that you'll play over any of the other games. Yes, yeah. it always feels like yeah. we're a letdown when you play something else. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, so, so for me, for yeah. me that I don't feel like that. Like for me, I can sort of, to put it in cooking terms, I can like taste the flavor difference and like, I wouldn't rate them equally, but like I don't feel as bad playing the other version. So like, for example, like a game I can think of is Epic Spell Wars, you know, deck builder sort of, game shooting spells at each other there's like seven versions of the game and i own all seven of them because each one has like one different mechanic in it so even though the base game is like the same every time you're building a deck you're playing spell cards blah 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 like one of them will have like minions who are like cards that stick around on the board and they do like a continuous effect and like one of them will have these disease tokens that you give other players and like that's continuously doing something to them or like counter spells or whatever so like you know i don't mind owning all the different versions because i might feel like one day oh I feel like playing this theme or whatever so like another example might be for instance zombie side 
Like if I had infinite cash, I, I already have Black Plague, but like I might get like White Death. So like maybe today I feel like shooting cowboy zombies, you know, and then I go and do that. Yes, so like yes. uh, today I feel like a spacey kind of game, but I still want to play Zombieside. So I'll play the space version of Zombieside, which is like Invader or whatever the hell it's called. And like Nemesis, you know, like Nemesis is a huge game about alien hunting and stuff. Supposedly Nemesis Lockdown completely better in every way and re-implements it and does all this cool stuff. That's cool. And I own that as well. But I honestly just like, there's been a few times where I just feel like playing the base game of Nemesis because I just prefer the, the thematic sense of like, I'm on the spaceship and stuff. Whereas Lockdown is more about like, you know, you on the space on Mars and like, it's a different feeling for me. So for me, that justifies owning, you know, both of the games. But there are some games that are just too similar or like, you know, one might be a, essentially a second edition of the game where the theme is exactly the same, but it's got a better mechanic in it, you know? Mm -hmm. So like those games, obviously, you know, I'll, I'll just keep one of them. But uh, yeah, a lot of the time, a lot of games that I've played have the same mechanic or even just the mechanic is the same, but it's implemented so differently. Like there's so many deck builders out there that work differently to the deck builder that I already have, you know? Yeah, so they've added their own twist to it. Certain genres people like way more than others. If you become obsessed with worker placement games, you'll want Feast of Odin, you'll want Architects of the West Kingdom. There's so many games out there that have worker placement, but they're just different enough that if you really love that mechanic, you'll mm. want all of them. And yes. that's fine. Like, you know, if you are like the worker placement guy, then cool. Like, you know, that's... And you'll find people to play with because yeah. those mechanics are popular for a reason, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, there's so many people who like worker placements, you know, like that's a big one. And even stuff like dungeon crawling. I mean, that's like huge. There's so many dungeon crawlers out there. There's like Tainted Grail, Descent, you know, the D&D board games. Like, there's so many that do that exact... And it's the exact same mechanic, you know, rolling dice to fight monsters, blah, 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 or boss battlers or whatever. But there's a reason why there's so many. You know, like people really love that mechanic. So like you can easily find a group where it's like, okay guys, for the next year, we're just going to play a different dungeon crawl game every Friday, you know? And like, you can get a group that will be willing to do that, you know? So like, that's quite cool as well. And I think we're quite lucky in Cape Town where like the Cape Town community is is huge for board games. I mean, compared to like the rest of the country from what I've seen. Like I know in Joburg, there's this board game shop called Nexus Hub and they were actually here at Comic-Con recently. And when I went there, they had so many products that you would never find in Cape Town because people just buy them out here. So I got like the deluxe collector's edition of Curse of Strahd, which is like a D&D book. But like the collector's edition comes in like a coffin because it's a vampire themed thing. Yes. So it comes in a coffin and it comes like a little tarot deck and all this cool stuff. That in Cape Town was like immediately sold out when it came out. So, you know, like the community here specifically is very good. Yeah, we've got a lot of board game enthusiasts uh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and hikers. So if you like hiking. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, hiking and board games. I mean, that's why those are my things. Yeah, like if you look at the meetup app, that's the other thing. We should probably talk about where you can find the communities. But yes, like, yes. one of them is uh, Facebook. Uh, WhatsApp is a huge one as well. There's some Instagram. But the big one that got me kind of into the more modern thing that we do is meetup. So like meetup.com. If you go in there, you can type in like Cape Town board games or whatever, and you'll find, or even just board games, you'll find like, I think two or three groups actually. And they host regular events for like anyone, you know, introductory play, advanced stuff, whatever. Most of the time they usually um, are intro play events because you go there, you play with people who also have never played and then you form your little group. Or like, if you feel like you're more of an advanced player and you go there, the people who are hosting will probably know people who are advanced board gamers or like they'll, yes, get they'll you match you with the appropriate players and you'll yeah, find yeah, exactly, yeah. a fun uh, friend crew yeah or they'll get you into like little secret whatsapp groups and stuff you know <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah like that's yeah. that's the best intro i think in cape town specifically meetup but i know like you know in certain other countries like um my you know my wife comes from the philippines they've got a very active facebook community that side because messenger it was fr uh, back in the days messenger was free in philippines before whatsapp and all the other stuff was free so everyone used facebook there 
So like they've got a huge Facebook related community of everything. Facebook there, you know, you can go in there type in body but board games Philippines or something and you'll find like, you know, board game stores that side or like, you know, depending on whatever your your country is, whatever the main social media platform there is is probably a good place to go. Or Meetup, because Meetup is specifically for events. Yes. So, you know, those are the two two good ways to go. What would you say the, like, um, the points that make running an event successful? I mean, even we've got a little friends group with board games. Yeah. What makes that work? What would you call a successful event that people are excited to come for and new players feel comfortable? Like, what does yeah. that look like to you? I'd say events for new players versus events for regular players are different. So I'll kind of give advice for both of those. Um, for a new player event, I'd say bring out some of the classics, you know, like there's a list of well-known games that everyone knows that everyone's played as an intro so like whatever betrayal on house on the hill katan small world ticket to ride even mousetrap i guess could probably be part of that list because <laughs> people still play that cards yeah. against humanity is another one a lot of people like those kind of games would be good to play at a, at a, at a game night for for noobs um also just the environment of like you know be friendly and like you know there obviously will be some ground rules of the event holder in general no racists or like, you know, yeah, like yeah, basics yeah, yeah. you know the basics exactly. of any event two people who respect that yeah, yeah, yeah all the social yeah, basics um, of the stuff contracts, yeah. uh, and i think as well like snacks and appropriate snacks if someone's bringing their like thousand rand 1970s copy of some game that was signed by the artist don't bring cheese puffs and and wine and stuff you know like <laughs> like play with oh there's greasy fingers on those cards man yeah, yeah like like i had an event with some friends where i mean like like I said, I play a lot of love letters. So, like, even though the game itself is cheap, I, the cards are, like, very well used and stuff. I would prefer that to not get damaged. But, unfortunately, while playing with this particular group, they were drinking wine. And they spilled wine all over the cards, like, three or four times. And by some miracle of God, those cards don't have wine stains on. Which, I don't even know how that's You possible. must have been sweating, huh? <laughs> well, yeah. Like, I clean very quickly, obviously. But, like, and also yes. the, the card stock itself with with Love Letter is, is quite good. Like, they've got, like, a wax coating or something on it. Yes. And it's, like, it's made with, like, the cards have thread inside. Which is a particular way that they make certain cards. So, like, those cards are made to be well used, right? Yes. So, whatever. Somehow, those cards didn't get stained. But, like... I I was certainly worried at the time because people spilled their wine on the cards like three or four times and I was like okay guys cool like next time let's not drink while we play yeah, this yeah. Be, <laughs> be merry but not too merry you know yeah, like, and respect I respect the components they're expensive right? exactly and well even worse I mean some people that have these like custom board game tables that cost like 15,000 rand you know like if you go and play at that guy's house and you spill Fanta on his like felt on his game or whatever that's like you know yeah, yeah. it's not, not a great feeling so I think avoiding drinks at the table other than like flasks where people can like open the flask drink yes. and close it uh, sealed, yeah, yeah. sealed drinks are usually quite safe you know like bottles of water and whatever and then food wise fresh cut veg like carrots or celery or things like that or cucumber even like those go quite well with hummus as well because hummus is you know keep the hummus away because that can spill chips is normally pretty good I try and avoid chips in general like you know even layers and stuff um, Simba is pretty good because Simba chips are quite dry so that's easy to you know take a bite in your hands or can be clean um, Burevos Boltong Popcorn like those are those are pretty good snacks even like M&M's and things or Smarties or whatever like there's like dry candies anything dry and easy to pick up that doesn't leave dust or liquid is is a pretty good snack to go with so, and I think that is part of the experience. Like, a lot of people love to sit down, have a nice snack, you know, get the energy for that brain-burning turn yeah, yeah, to go, yeah. and, you know, like, brings a bit of chias, you know, when you have nice food. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, chias as well. Like, you know, nice joke. If you are, like, let's say you're running a social game and you aren't a social person, bring that friend that you have that you get along with who's, like, is always cracking jokes or whatever. Like, that guy will be good at this particular type of game, you know? Or yeah. even, like, strategic games. Like, sometimes, you know, you might be playing a strategic game with people who don't know how to play, and you might not be good at strategy, but you might have, like, your one friend who loves the game and he'll give these other people advice on how they can play their turns you know like some people might feel that that's quarterbacking but like 
uh, just to explain quarterbacking, that's when it's like, you know, people are playing a co-op game and one guy is actually forcing everyone to make his decisions. Some people, especially when they're new, they want that. You know, like, they might not know what to do every single turn. So, like, they'll make one turn or they'll say to people like, okay, guys, I'm just going to tell you, my strategy is I want to get really high up on this tech track. How do I do that? You know, like, even though people now know how you're playing the game, a lot of the time that doesn't affect things. Like, they can't stop you doing that a lot of the time. So they might be like, okay, cool. Yeah, like, here's what I would do. Like, this is like how you get this resource and this resource will convert to this thing that lets you go up the track. Yeah. You know, so like having a person who's knowledgeable with the game, I think is a good Yeah, and you must give help the new folks. You know, like I think sometimes yeah. board gamers don't realize like in, in a hobby, if for instance, if, um, you know, in my finance, if mm-hmm. I'm with someone who's more experienced, right, you know, I'm going to be asking for help. They see me doing a wrong technique. They're going to help me. Mm-hmm. But sometimes in board games, people don't pick up that. You know, the competitiveness means that players won't help other players or give away tips. Yeah, like they want to win. But, so. but you know what I mean? You're, yeah, they're going to be like, oh, this is a great move. And then they make their move and you're like, cool, now I win this thing. them, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but I think Part as well... Part of my secret plan, yeah. Yeah, I think as well, like, to, to caveat that as well, like, don't infra dump. Like, you know, sometimes, like, it's someone's first time ever seeing a game. And then you go off on, like... Here's 20 games like this game that are better that you might like. And here's this website to go to to buy games. And here's where the next meetup event is. And here's three other social media groups and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, like you can overwhelm people very easily with that. So what I tend to do is when playing, I don't talk about anything to do with any board game stuff other than what is going on in the game. And then I say, look, give me a WhatsApp and I will send you messages like throughout the week of like, here's where I buy local games. You know, here's like three game stores in your area that you might want to check out. And then, like, two days later, oh, here's this thing called Board Game Geek. So, like, if you want to, like, see the latest news about board games or, like, track a game that you really like and see if it's got any expansions coming out or blah, 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 here's a site for that. Then they, it's more easily digestible as opposed to, like, sitting at a table yes. and you just, like, machine gun info dump at someone. Yeah, I'll just give them what they need to know, you know, um, and that'll actually mm-hmm. aid to the experience. And you pointed out interesting out with personalities at a table, right? Mm-hmm. The group you play with is sometimes as important or more important than the game, right? Yeah. That, that creates me atmosphere. Board games are very social. And if you're playing a strategic game, having people who are really knowledgeable or people who are very friendly and good with facilitating people in a social game and bringing in humor and jokes, that helps so much, right? Sort of having specialized... Not to say, like, to use people as like, ah, I'm going to bring this guy because he's going to do this. Yeah. Like, having specialized roles in the group where it's like... You know, one guy's really good at strategy. So every time someone wants to play a strategy game, this guy learns the rules. You know, in our particular group, as I'm sure you know, Stephen, I say it all the time, you're the rules guy. Like, you know, you're yeah, very good yes, at picking yes. up rules I've, and teaching. I've so got like, a, a good knack for remembering rules. I, yeah, I've which I'm terrible at. So, like, what yeah, I try and do is, like... Complement each other well. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I have a big space. Like, I've got a massive table. So, like, you can play pretty much any game in my house. So, like, I host that. And even my own games, like, if I have a game where I'm like, cool, I want to play this game, I kind of know the rules, not 100%, and it's a bit of a complicated game but i know steven will know the rules so like if i know if we host and he's there and he wants to play the game obviously I, I can rely on you to like catch me when i'm like forgetting a rule you know or like that sort of stuff so there's that and there's also like some people will live in the same area as another guy so it's like cool if we need a six player game i know these two guys live close and the one guy can lift the other guy that's like a good you know nucleus that you get going where it's like you know who to pull on for particular games and who like particular games like yes. my, my, my wife has quite a few friends who are into like acting and drama and stuff so like I know if they are going to come play a game with us, I'm going to be playing like social deduction or like code name sort of games, social games where there's like a lot of talking and team interaction and stuff. They prefer those kind of games just because, you know, that's the kind of people they are. Whereas if I'm playing it with like engineer who like locks himself away in a room and plays three days of civilization, he's not going to want to play those kind of socially 
games where there's not a lot of content but there's more like social interaction yes. he would rather play like a crunchy euro game or like a, a strategic war game where like you know every unit has a special thing about them that you need to know in order to like do yes. the grand strategy there's games for all those kind of people so. but you know in games like not every like moment or game that you you're currently sitting at will fully engage you how do you get people more engaged, right? Because that's a big thing. Mm. Like sometimes someone's sitting a bit, they're quiet, maybe they're reserved, maybe they just haven't caught on to the strategy, or they're feeling like not in on the joke or whatever. So you got to kind of get them back in, right? Well, I think there's two topics that we can break down. So I'll just split them up. The first topic I'd say is this particular topic, which is the engagement, is like, um, when it's someone's turn, I think ask them a question of like, what are you, like, okay, it's your turn. What, what are you doing on your turn? Or like, What's your strategy here? Because then when you get people to sort of say what they're thinking, some people have this whole thing going on in their head of like what they're doing. Sometimes, yes, obviously in some games, revealing your strategy is a weakness to you. Oh, I'm going to go to this spot. And then like the other person has a turn and they're like, cool, I'm going there because I know he's going to go there. You know, <laughs> like don't do that. But if yeah. it's like the start of that person's turn and they're about to make some moves, you can be like, cool, so what's your strategy? And they might tell you like, oh, you know, I'm going to try and beat my defenses up here. And then they do that. And then you're like, oh, I see, because last round, this guy did this to you. That's a good strategy, whatever. You know, and then that makes him feel like, oh, yeah, like, you know, there's engagement there. Or like, they might be making a move that isn't optimal. And then you might suggest to them, like, not saying you have to do this move, but oh, you're like, that's cool. But like, just so you know, this guy has this power that actually like negates that defense. Maybe save some guys for this other place or whatever. And then like, you know, you can help them play their turn better, which makes the game better for everyone, you know, like, no one yes. wants to play a game with like someone who's new and someone who's experienced and the experienced guy just dominates because he knows like all the weaknesses of the other player. It's a know? group activity, so, right? Everyone wants to have fun and yeah, exactly. that's part of the game, right? You don't want to just be playing on your own and everyone happens to be facilitating your fun. Yeah, and also like just from like a perspective wise, like it's better to help people play the game better. Some people, yes, they just come because they want to win. I try and avoid those kind of people. Because, yes, overly, like, like competitive people is, is them. good, but overly competitive people can sort of be a toxic element to a group, unfortunately. Yeah, and like, luckily enough, in Cape Town, there's, like, there's like literally hundreds of board gamers, so like it's easy to just avoid those kind of people. But like sometimes you just have to, you, you have them in your group and you need to deal with them. I think the best way to deal with those kind of people is you know what they're going to try and do. Tell the other players ahead of time if they're new players or if you just feel like they, you know, are not going to have a good time with this player being there or whatever. Let people know or just be like, cool, I know, this per I know how this person plays. I'm going to set my starting location at a faraway place to them. Or I'm going to, whatever, go for a different victory condition than what they go for because I don't want to compete with them because I know they're going to get heated about it or whatever. There's ways you can do that kind of stuff. How do you handle someone who's sort of a toxic person or is creating sort of people tension that's not related yeah. to the game? Well, honestly, like, because I host, I just kick them out and I don't bring them anymore <laughs> so I can stop, I can yeah. do that but uh, if it's yeah, yeah if you can't do that like let's say you're going to like a public space where there's a lot of people playing board games and those people are always there where maybe you don't get along with the host of the, of the thing you know who knows so in that sort of situation trying to get a group going away from that community and like not going to those events if you can is always best option like just yeah, branch off your own little thing. yeah yeah but if it has to be at a confrontational level you can just be like look man when we play games you do this thing and i just want you to know like for me like that i don't enjoy the experience when you do that can you mind taking it a bit easy there or whatever or like even talk to other players and be like hey did you like when you play with this person do you get this feeling that they like do this thing a lot you know maybe it's just you maybe you're the only one who's like feeding this way and like then obviously you know there's something you need to look into why you might be feeling that but if everyone's like yeah this guy's well known for like doing this or like some some people might just not have told that person that they're doing that thing so like you know it might seem rude or whatever but if you go after the person you say look you know i've spoke to a few other people about this just to make sure it's not just me like 
when you do this thing, a few players don't really like it. Can you just not do that or whatever? You know, like, just come to them honestly with this conversation and be like, I'm not, like, not going behind your back or anything, but, like, I did speak to someone else about this before to make sure it's not just me feeling that way. So I just want to let you know, like, it is a valid criticism that I've made sure it's not just me saying this. That, that can also help as well when you, like, make sure that it's not just you who thinks that. Because, like, that can be a bit insulting when you go to someone you're like, yeah, you know, when I play with you, you seem like kind of an asshole. And like, and like everyone else is like, well, we, we don't feel that way. Like, what the hell are you talking about? But a modern kind of pseudo rule in life is that it's not necessarily what you say, it's how you say it. It's how you bring it up. Yeah, yeah, of course, that too. Like, you got to be polite about things. Respect, and, you know, right? Yeah, and, and it can be a bit of like a, I don't know, like a rocky situation, especially like, because it, it can kind of feel like you're going behind someone's back. You know, if you come to someone, you're like, hey, I've talked with a few other people and like, we all don't like when you do this one random thing in the game. Whenever you make this joke, it's not funny and like, it's not appropriate. Just can you not do that? Even though it might be a valid concern, they might feel like, oh, you've been like gossiping behind their back about them. And like, now you've all like ganged up and like you poisoned the well and like told these people to think this way, whatever. Yeah, you need to be careful about how you approach that situation. Yeah. But uh, yeah, to, to get back to the other thing that I was going to say with the um, engagement thing, the, the second topic I was going to say is when you play one of these long games when it's not your turn trying to be one of those people that goes on your phone or like leaves the room or you know gets housework done or something while someone's playing their turn like yeah. as much as you might think like oh cool you know this is my downtime i'm gonna like go do something else what i try and do when it's someone else's turn and it's a long game like that is i try and like be involved with what's going on in the board so like yes obviously i take some of that time to like think of my strategy for when my next turn starts so i don't hold the game up but also like looking at what's going on like even if it's like there's two people on the other side of the map and it's like a battle game or whatever and like i know i'm never gonna fight them but like it's interesting like i want to see how do these two players fight and like oh this is getting tense like this guy's gonna use his power here or like you know who's gonna win this thing like i try to get like more involved in in the game in that sense so yeah i think just try to do that especially like i've played with a few people who have been you know checked out like when it's not their turn they reading their phone or something you know like, yeah, you're really good so, at that just like pulling people back in and really taking a genuine interest in what they're doing in the game yeah i, I think as well to, to mention this like like we've already mentioned there's some people who are really good at certain skills when you bring them to the game you know the funny guy or like the guy who really knows the rules or like the strategy guy whatever if you feel like you don't have any talent you bring to the game just being the commentator is a skill you know like being the guy that's like oh jared's about to do this move and like Good luck, guys. Like, cool, you know, like, we're about to see this role here. Like, just talking about what's going on in the game is helpful to some people. Like, some people are not visual processors. So, like, they can look at this board state with a million colors and numbers and things and not know what the hell's going on. But if you just say, oh, this guy's about to attack this guy, and because he's got such a large force, the other guy's going to have to use a strong general or whatever. Like, that engages that person in, like, better understanding what is happening in the game at the moment. Yeah. That can be your skill, you know, just being the guy who talks a lot in the game. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, and it makes it so fun, right? Because that strategy, that either that kind of like bantery in a party game, back and forth of who's doing what, or that's kind of strategy, bringing up an overall picture of what's happening. Yeah. That's really fun, right? That's like you have these fat discussions about it. So it's not mm. just kind of helping them through what's going on. It's also the, the fun factor that comes with that. Yeah, or even like, especially part of the fun factor of that is relating to the theme to what's happening in the game. So a lot of games, it's like, you know, you're, you're rolling a die and there's a number and you're adding that number to some other number. Like that's essentially what's happening. The theme part of that is like, oh, these guys are like going through an asteroid field and like, the roll part is like they're taking a risk because they're like doing a whatever a barrel roll through this one part of the system and like it could break off an engine if they get a low roll you know like if yeah. you talk about that part of things to people it like helps people imagine that's what's going on rather than 
some random person is at a table rolling yeah. a piece of plastic and adding a number together. <laughs> it so, makes it more like immersive and even you can make yeah. it quite cinematic if that's where the theme's going. Yeah, exactly. And like there are a lot of games. Not every game has a million figurines that are painted and sparkly and whatever and like voice acting lines as an app and whatever there's some games that it's literally like you're moving a cube around a board you know <laughs> like yeah. so like if you can like explain the theme in there or like make it more interesting for people who don't really find that interest like that that's a skill you know what, what, what do you say like theme that's that's become quite an important aspect of games what appeals to you how would you say like a theme is well implemented so i'd say um yeah to give an example of a theme that's well implemented i'll, I'll talk about uh, rising sun which is like i mean that's like one of my favorite games ever the game of rising sun mechanically already existed and there is a trilogy it's like uh, blood rage rising sun Ankh in that order so like blood rage already exists right it's a dudes on the map game you spawn guys you go into battle you play a card, which is something that does change in Rising Sun, which I'll mention. But like, you essentially, you fight people and there's some element of a hidden part of your attack, right? That's the game. So in the in the Rising Sun version of that game, because it's set in like, you know, Japan and all that, the phases that you can go through include like ki kidnapping the, the enemy captain. And one of the parts of it is, is seppuku, literally. So like, you know, you can you can die honorably and that's like something you can do, you know, because the theme is Japanese. You mm -hmm. can you can kill your own soldiers in order to like get points it's in the cool game. Such a cool twist on, on like your typical, well, I've just got to kill the other people. Now it's like, well, maybe sacrificing for the greater good or the, the cultural phenomenon is... Yeah, yeah. So in that particular instance, it's most games you I, like. It's very rare to find a, a combat game where killing your own troops is beneficial to you, right? In this particular game, because of the fact that it's meant to be Japanese themed and there's like an honor system in the game, you know, Eastern culture honor is like a big part of culture there. They have an honor track, and the honor track is like if you further up in the track, if there's a tie, the most honorable person wins. So like that makes honor quite a key theme in the game, and the mechanic is in the game implemented very well because in society in the East the more honorable person would, would likely be believed in a situation where there's like a tie going on. Yes. So like that's a one from a theme. And like I said, the Sapuka theme is well implemented. And even like the creatures in the game, like you can, you know, because it's set in like a fantasy Jap Japan setting, you can, you know, hire these demons. And the demons from, you know, the, the demons that you can hire are based on actual Japanese mythology. And from my understanding, like, I mean, I've rudimentary uh, knowledge on, on Japanese mythology, the, the way that the demons in the game work is based on the way that the actual demons or whatever you want to call them in mythology works there. So like you get like this guardian dog creature and like in the game that creature's played in a defensive way and in the mythology it's like a guardian creature. It's like, you know, a defensive creature. So like that is a very well implemented theme. And I think other themes that can be well implemented are like there's a game called Heat, which I've been looking at getting. Uh it's a race car, it's a like F one racing game, basically. But in the game you have this heat element which is essentially like you can you can gear up to max gear and like try to take risky moves where you move your car further along the track but by doing that you draw these heat cards and heat cards are like these useless cards in your hand that you know that don't do anything but like they clog up your hand and now you've got less moves to do because you know realistically if you're driving at a fast speed you can't maneuver as well because you have to like make the split second decisions more quickly and you have less time to think because the car's moving etc etc so like having these heat cards in your hand and being able to do less things because you're traveling at a faster speed, that makes sense as like a, a thematic mechanical integration there. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of games do that very, very well. There are some games that like, you know, the theme isn't really important at all, 
Like for me personally, there's certain games, you know, usually if a game is named after a town and it's a Euro, there's not going to be a theme there. It's going to be like, you know, this game is called like Bratislavia or something. And like the game has got nothing to do with the country at all. It's like you're moving whatever cubes on a track. There'll be nice artwork and there might be like a little insert that tells you the culture of the city. But, you know, the game itself is essentially worker placement. But the purple cubes represent politics and the expansion. And the red cubes (laughs) represent anger and um, political internal conflict. Yeah, and and that's not to say that like the components specifically are where the problem is. There's a lot of games your component is a cube but like that cube, the way that it's used in the game is thematic. You know, like maybe you have a guy, like a boxing game, and every time you take a hit, you you remove a cube from your health pool. And then when the cubes get low enough, then you get to like some level where you get delirious and you have less actions or whatever. Like the cubes are fine. That's not the problem with the game. The problem with the game, well, not the problem, but like the lack of theme for me in, the, in those games. A lot of the time you're doing something that doesn't actually have any cultural or thematic relevance. It's just you do this because that's what gets you a point in the game. You know, and that's fine. Like, not every game needs to have theme, but if you like themed games, just know that there are some that implement it better than others. Yeah, some (laughs) people appreciate um, immersion, some people appreciate mechanics. For me in theme, there's sort of two sort of aspects, and it's almost, sometimes it's a one or the other. It's the aspect of visual and storytelling immersion, where it's mm-hmm. things, well, your character's a bit of a backstory, they have cool art. Yeah. A lot of these um, narrative games. There's, there's little cool story segments, yeah. and, you know, the map, a, a sinking island or something. <clears throat> and you can contrast that to games where it's, like, mechanically thematic. Like, as I said, mm-hmm. it feels like you're actually boxing, like you're taking hits and damage. Like, uh, Terraforming Mars, for me, is like a visually horrendous but like mechanically um and just um setting thematic like like nothing else so people ask what's your favorite theme it might be that one hey and (laughs) if you look at this bland thing it's hard to see that immediately you know you've got little microbes that you put little cubes you're putting on cards and that represents microbes and now you're developing microorganisms and you're doing projects that are kind of for the broader goal of terraforming mars to make it habitable and you know you're putting little hexes on there but that represents cities and yeah, surrounding forests, forest. the natural sort of development of, of the land and you know you're tracking little um, economies and different resource distributions and all of that sort of ties into such a intricate sort of beautiful thing so for me like that kind of theme is almost more appreciated and combats that are theme orientated as opposed to just generic you know um, five is more than ten so, like, like for you, like, uh, is it about the mechanical theme kind of interpretation? Is it just yeah. story? How- well, first I'll say, I, I do agree with you in the fact that, like, quite rare to see a game that implements both. So, like, generally, if you've got a game that's very narrative story-driven, the mechanics are light. Like, normally it'll be like, um, you know, you roll a d20, or, like, you have a deck of cards that you play a card from the deck, and that does something, right? Whereas, like, mechanically-driven games that don't have any story will have to rely more on the theme being so mechanically integrated that even though there's no like snippet of words that you read, you understand that what's happening makes sense for the story. Like we said, the boxing example, right? There are games that do both. Like I think one good example of that is Tainted Grail. So Tainted Grail has like a whole story journal and you read things and whatever, but it's also got this aspect of like, you need to gather food and you need to gather, correlate your magical essence and whatever. And then you use those things to light these waystones and then when a waystone is lit you can travel further away from it and it reveals cards on the map and all this other stuff so like that is a really good example of having mechanical theme and also like narrative theme so those games do exist but like you said like it is it is a bit more rare like normally a a game will focus on one or the other i personally prefer the mechanical games because 
when I think of like narrative driven games, Descent is like probably an example of a game that's quite narrative driven. It has mm. obviously pieces that you move yeah. and you roll dice and stuff, but the, the narrative of the game is the Yeah, narrative. as a consequence of its sort of D&T um, links yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like that, that's exactly what I was getting to where like, I feel like any of those narrative games, I could just play D&D. Like D&T is a system that's been around for like, you know, whatever, like 50 years or whatever at this point. Like it's very well refined. There's tons of homebrew content. There's tons of free online content to use. There's like every accessory you can think of that you can get. You can 3D print things. It's a very well-established system and game. So for me, instead of playing a game that is essentially a very condensed version of D&D, I would just rather play D&D. You know, so th that's how I feel about the narrative stuff. But the mechanical stuff, I feel like it's more special in the sense that like, you know, there's thousands of board games, but a lot of them have this one unique mechanic that like only that game has or like that game does it in a way that's very flair like flavorful and it's got some flair to it you know and you don't get that in, in anywhere else like i mean like i said like with the D, &D thing even with D, D, like instead of playing D, &D you can like listen to a fantasy audiobook or read a fantasy book or whatever for example and you get a similar kind of feeling to that D, &D experience with board games you can't like read a book and get that board game experience like board gaming you need to do to get the experience of it or even just watching someone play a board game, fine, whatever. But, like, it's a more interactive hobby. You know, it's like sport, for example. Like, you know, playing a game of soccer isn't the same as, like, reading a book about soccer, you know? Yeah. So that's that's that kind of that board game, where board games sort of fit in with, like, an itch you can't really scratch somewhere else. So, like, it can feel like video games a lot of the time. But, I mean, there's some games where it's, like, you just don't get that same experience in video games. Yeah. And especially, like, the... The way that multiplayer interactions work in board games versus video games, I think is very different. When people think of video games in general, most video games are like first person shooters or like there's some 3D physics aspect of it that involves, that is involved in the interaction. You know, like whatever, you're working together as a team to build something in Minecraft or you whatever, playing a shooting game or something. Like that's something you get uniquely in video games that you don't really get anywhere else. Whereas like in board games, you get these particular mechanics where it's like, yes, it's just moving a worker from one position to another, but like doing that in a board game versus doing that in a video game feels very different. And just the face-to-face -face interaction of like, you can see people's reaction when you do something or like, it's just more, there's a more human element of it, which is really nice. So yeah. like, you know, just being able to turn off phones, turn off PCs and like have a conversation with someone and have a, an interaction with them that is very human, you know? Yeah, and very which, unique, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like that's missing for a lot of people in society these days, you know, like other than work, like yes, you might chat to a colleague at work in the office, but like other than that, a lot of people like, you know, they work remotely, they have a little Zoom meeting for the day, they go and watch some stream on Twitch or some YouTube or something, or they go for a run by themselves. Like they aren't getting that human interaction. Playing board yeah. games to get that part of your life in is, is, is yeah. quite a... In board games, the, like, that's part of the resurgence, right? They, they went quiet you know, after many years of success and sort of dwindled down in your sort of Catan era and newer games. One of those things was a lack of, um, especially in modern times, uh, social interaction. You know, even in COVID, the spike in board game popularity. People in a more connected world in some ways, you can communicate with your friends over the internet and so on. At the same time, you know, face-to-face -face interactions, the doing a shared activity and working problems out together and that humor and just kind of that sharing an experience as opposed to relating an experience of saying, well, I read this book, you read this book. That's really cool. But reading the book together, if that's a good metaphor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, thing, like, right? You can't really like read a book together at the same time and be like, oh, did you see that or whatever? Yeah, like, yeah. like it is nice to like chat to like, let's say movies. Like if you're a big Star Wars fan and you meet another Star Wars fan, you know you've got stuff to talk about there. Like you're like, oh, remember that scene or remember like this or like, what do you think of this character? Like 
that is a unique interaction but like board games i think provide also a unique interaction of that level in the sense of like there's a connection there with someone else who like is trying to do the same thing as you especially like i i prefer co-op games just in general because that element of it is so strong in those games where it's like we're working together to fight this thing and do something and even like allied games where it's like two players versus two players versus two players versus two players like dune is a bit like that where it's like it's you and your ally versus the table you know and like how yes. how are we going to win this you know how are we going to use our powers and our brains to come up with a strategy that will outdo the other players who are also doing this i like that element of games a lot so for me like card games are a big thing that i enjoy but even competitive games like there's some games like um for me magic is is, is quite a good example of like it's just a head-to-head straight up competitive game where like one person will win one person yeah. will lose two titans <laughs> fighting trying to add with the other you know it's kind of that yeah yeah so like the strategy classic. for me in magic is like very big that's what kind of got me hooked on it there's so many even just within one game like just within the game of magic there's so many different ways to play and strategies and themes and whatever like you can make a deck of like all dog creatures you know like every creature in your deck is a dog and like they all whatever protect each other somehow or whatever like there's ways yes. to do that in magic and like you know, you could be a guy who just, his whole strategy is making the opponent run out of cards. So, like, all your cards are just making them discard cards in their hands and making them draw cards from their deck or put cards from the deck into the discard pile. Or yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, like, some people like that aspect of it and whatever. Like, there's so many ways to, to play it. So, I think that's also something where, like, you know, certain games have a lot more versatility than others. So, um, yeah, like, finding those games that are very versatile, especially if you don't want to be someone who's just got 50 million games. You know, like, if you want your core stack of, like, 10 games, you know, like... yeah finding out which games have the most replayability and have the most explorations to do. So like, you know, there's some games where it's like, you can play the game where all you're doing in the game is gathering resources. And eventually you win by doing that. Like that's just something that can happen. Like you get so many gold coins that you could just buy victory points and then you win because you buy a bunch of victory points in one turn. But then in the same game, you can like completely avoid resource gathering and like all you do the whole game is try and like prevent another player from being able to do the main mechanic that they do and every time you do that preventing part you somehow get a resource by doing that or like you get ahead in the game by doing that and you get victory points from doing it like you know that's a whole different way to play but it's all in the same game yeah so like that's something really nice like i think june is quite a good example of that where it's like if you play as the atreides you get to see every card on the board so like your whole game plan is about knowing who's going to play what cards at what time and who you can attack to like get territory yeah. of it like oh i know this guy has doesn't have any defense to poison weapons so i'm going to attack him this turn before he gets another good draw so i know that if i do that he's not going to be able to defend and i'm going to get that win you know yes. so like like that's and that's just one out of the like 10 races you can play as you know exactly. whereas if you're playing as like the emperor you've just got infinite money so you're like cool who do i think is playing this game the best okay i'm gonna back this guy we allies now he's gonna do even better because now he's not only got his great strategy going but he's got money from my side to like revive yeah. his troops and buy better cards and blah 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 yeah know? having those sort of different roles in games and asymmetry or just different sort of positions because you're different places on the map that kind of creates a unique sort of dynamic and experience and that creates sort of a story in a way, right? I think from here we can go into what do we look for in games. For me, like, one of the things is memorable moments, stories, those interactions mm -hmm. with friends, you know. If I, my first term, the Atreides, and, the, you know, this guy, you know, we, we could probably have a lot of Dune examples, is <laughs> this guy has all the money, but I have all the information. Ooh, but that guy's got all the combat, you know. 
It's like, well, you know, if we play the information and sort of economy game, we can outwit those ones who are just dominating on sheer brute force. You know, when you do that, um, maybe against the odds, that's, that's very exciting and very cool. And like, you know, they branch into a, another game of, you know, Cosmic Arts, all about chaos and making those stories and having, you know, this power interact with this power in a way you've never seen. And that just creates a bit of humor and dynamics that you would never see. And in that game, never experience in another game like well this combination removes the deck well, now, how are we I, playing I was, now? Gonna, I was gonna say uh, well, one thing i could say on this topic of like what's it for don't discount games that seem to just be a short little fun thing like even though like you might think those games are less important than these big grandiose games where like you're playing for four hours and there's that payoff at like three and a half hours in where you do this crazy move that you've been playing the whole game and whatever like Games like Cosmic Encounter, where it's just random and like everyone's having a good time, you can get an important memory out of that game. Or even like Love Letter, where like, you know, it's such a simple game, but like there can be this one time where it's like your first turn and you play a card that's like, you have to guess, like the guard card, you know, when you guess a roll. And like on your first turn, you play that card and you're like, I think you got the princess, like just for some reason. And they do have the princess. Like that's such a like funny memory to be like, oh, like. The, whatever what are the chance like one in 60 chance that that's ever going to happen you know yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you got it you know yeah, like this that's is... an interesting thing to to have even yeah. though that's like a cheap game and it's very short and whatever you know it's a good point like you don't have to play the like grandiose has obviously got its appeal but even short little things they they do can give you those memorable super fun iconic moments like i think of like you know one night werewolf where you know someone's the bad guy and that bad guy convinces everyone else that someone else is the bad guy yeah but then, you know, that guy actually had his role changed. And so, you know, yeah, so he's not he's actually a double reveal. The first reveal is, oh, he's not the bad guy. And the second reveal is, oh, well, actually, that guy made him the bad guy now. And yeah, there's yeah. this whole, like, you know, raucous <laughs> of just all these kind of stars and things that aligned. Yeah. Like, specifically in Werewolf, I remember there was um, one guy was literally like, I, I, I was the werewolf, but like, I had this other card that made me give the role to him. So I know he's the werewolf. Yeah. And the person who did that was like the tanner or whatever, like the guy who wants to die. Oh. So like the guy who wants to die was accusing someone else in the hopes that everyone else would be like, that's not possible. He must be the werewolf. So he gets out, you know, like he was trying to like galaxy brain. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, that was like a really funny memory. So yeah, like yeah. even those like small games, so like you know, don't don't discount them just because like they're cheaper or like they're very short or they have a silly theme or something. Like you can get just as much enjoyment playing like ten games that are five minutes long as you would get from playing a fifty-minute-long one game. You know, like depending on the kind of player you are or the kind of stuff you're looking for. As a as a as a person, individual, what kind of games do you like? I mean, I know about this, but the audience probably wants to know. Um, sure. We actually have like overlap and differences in yeah, this, yeah. and that. Um, create interesting sort of um, people and player dynamic. Well, I think even like like you said, like the overlap I'd say is less interesting than the parts that don't overlap because yes. like if I have a game type that I am not the biggest fan of, obviously that means that I won't have researched into all the games in that genre because I just know that like it's not for me. But I might feel like playing one of those games and like because you like that genre, I might be like, cool, Steven, you like whatever, the king of improv, funny, random chaos games. What's the best one if I feel like playing that right now? And, like, I know you'll be able to tell me that, you know? Whereas you can come to me and be like, you know, whatever. Like, I know you've got, like, 50 million games and i got a friend who really likes this one game. Can we play your copy or whatever? You know, I'll be like, yeah, cool, we can we can do that. Or, you know, like, that kind of thing. So that's quite nice as well, like, having friends who like different games to you. Because maybe it turns out you actually do like that genre, but you just had a bad play. Or you didn't like that particular theme in that game or whatever. So, like, playing with people who, like know other games that are well rated and whatever and like you play with them you're like ah oh, i thought i really hated worker placement but it turns out actually like i just didn't like 
the way it was implemented in the five games of it I've played. Even though you've tried five different games and you are like 100% sure you don't like that genre, you might just randomly find one that you do like. Yeah, Someone yeah. might know like, ooh, you know, I know that this guy likes whatever, woodland creatures, but he doesn't like engine building games. But he might actually like Root because even though it's an engine building game, the theme of woodland creatures and critters fighting each other, whatever, will be overpoweringly in his favor. So like that becomes his engine building game that he likes to play. Yeah, you know, yeah. so like that's the kind of ways you can connect people who who might otherwise not play together. And I mean, like for me, a big one of that is um, I tend not to like long, complicated Euro games, but there are some I do like. There's a game called Notre, Notre Dame, for instance, which is like, um, but there's a mechanic in it where like you have this car that you move around, and depending on where the car is, you can do a certain action, and like you're building out these buildings in your in your section of France or whatever, or Paris or whatever it is, and, and it's like these rats as well, where like over time these you get these rats that build up in your in your city and you need to get rid of them. There's like a mechanic to get rid of it. I don't like Euro games in general, but I really like that Euro game. That's a great one. And so same when like... you say Euro games, let me just elaborate a little bit on that. What's yeah, that sure. to you? <laughs> we can go into the, you know, the Mary Trash, trash <laughs> which is Jordan's like domain, right? Here yeah, so, so just in general, Euro games are like, people might use the term point salad and there's actually a game literally called point salad, which is like the game of this, where it's, it's normally a game where the name of the game will be a city location and the artwork for the game will be extremely nice and exquisite and the components will be very nice looking but there will be almost no theme in the game at all and a lot of the time the game can be completely planned out from the start so like based on the first move of the game you can tell who's going to win some of the time so like there, there is an inevitability in euro games where i've seen people who play euro games often enough uh, on like the second or third round of the game they'll concede because they know that someone's going to win because they've yeah. done a particular thing. But some people may also even contrastingly enjoy that, that lack of randomness and that broader strategy, like, you know, Guy Project's like a nice example of that, where mm -hmm. there's no, no luck. Um, maybe there is a bit of snowball-y where it's hard to catch up, but yeah. it's that pure kind of focus on, it's just player dynamics, long-term strategy, mm -hmm. and kind of just rolling through like a pretty sort of destined path and the experience of that. Yeah, I think Gaia Project, like to specifically talk about one euro -E game like Gaia Project, the interest and the sort of stressful part in that game is actually the setup. Like when you set up, you need to really argue for like your best spot in the game or how the tiles are laid out or whatever. But once that's out there and you've made your first move, the rest of the game becomes more about like, can you like outlast your opponent in terms of not making mistakes? You know, you might make a huge blunder on turn two and that costs all your income for the, for the turn. And then the rest of the game, you just try to catch up your income. And because of that one turn, you've like, there's no way you're going to win. But like, there can be games that are so close. And then like, one guy chooses to colonize a planet on his turn instead of getting a tech tree that he should have got. And because he did it in that order, you're going to win now. Like, that's like a really exciting thing of like, your long-term strategy of like, pushing along and making the most optimal moves every turn has now paid off because of that, you know? Yeah. So like, I do see the feel of that. But like for me particularly, that's just not my jam. But I mean, I understand. Obviously, there's a lot of people who do feel that way. And I mean, the Euro community is huge. There's like a lot of people who exclusively play those kind of games. So there are these that out there. Ameritrash is like the exact opposite side of that, where it's like a lot of the time there's almost no skill involved. Like a lot of Ameritrash games have dice rolling as a core mechanic, where it's like every turn you roll a dice and that tells you what to do. Or like you attack someone and you roll some dice. And then based on the answer of the dice roll, you either win the battle outright or you completely get your forces destroyed or whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah. So um, obviously there are some ways to mitigate that. Like for example, if you attack someone with like five times the forces they have, you're probably going to win, you know? So like it does get mitigated, but like they focus more on theme. So like 
they'll have minis like miniature figures that look like the characters or they'll have like you know cards with like really nice artwork and like a description on the card that like is flavor text as well as what the card does so like they have a little portion that like sort of gets the theme going and stuff so those are quite nice games for me like i find that the contrast in there is that Heroes is more that methodical build up of almost um, enjoying your, your cleverness mm-hmm. and then like Ameritrash sort of I guess builds on the moments of that excitement, like big moments, like oh I destroyed a pony, rolled all the luck, um, that kind of maybe quicker but very exciting, very impactful sort of player on player dynamics. Yeah, yeah that's so- how the, they sort of contrast in what they're offering as the appeal of what's the big moments and for me those, those are kind of the way they're at. Yeah, yeah, so I was going to say, like, one of the things I forgot to mention with Euro is that there's not a lot of player interaction. So, like, that's why you can have a certain strategy that you think is going to win, because no one can really disrupt your strategy in most of these Euro games. So, like, for instance, in Gaia Project, the way that you can interact with enemy players is you can colonize a planet first before they get there, because you know that, that that's going to be something that they want to do there. Or you can just sit around and let someone else colonize all the planets around you and you feed on their energy because you've got like one building on a planet there. So like, that's the interaction. It's like, it's just like inverse interaction. And a lot of them have like worker placement where it's like your sort of player interaction is trying to brainstorm what the opponent's move is going to be and then you doing their move one step ahead of them so that they don't have that access to the move now. So like, for example, if one player has a lot of money and you know they're probably going to try and take the buy action to spend that money... You might take the buy action, even though it's not your best action, because you, you're going to get something where, like, you were going to buy something eventually, so now you're going to just rather do it this turn. And now that player's turn is, like, they have to think of a whole new thing to do, because now they can't buy the thing that they want to buy. So they've been delayed a whole turn, whereas you're, you're kind of up one action, as, as it is, by, by doing that. So there is that interaction, but Ameritrash games are, in general, way more interactive than Euro games, where it's, like, you directly attacking a player. You either, like fighting them with your army or you casting a spell on them or you know like doing something of that level i quite like those there are games that really don't fit into either genre like i would say you played uh, survive atlantis right yes yes yeah so like that that particular game is just explaining to people what that is it there's this board of of tiles and each tile will have like a sand or an island or a mountain on it but you essentially randomly build out this island of tiles and then each player places these little meeples, so like these, you know, mini figurines or whatever, on the island. And the objective is you get to move three times on your turn, and then you have to pick up a tile. So the island is falling apart. And obviously certain tiles, when you look on the bottom, they have powers. Oh, you could move a shark into some part of the water and like eat another player's <laughs> token. Or like you could move a whale to destroy a boat that certain players have pieces on. Or you might get a defensive tile that says like, if someone tries to eat you with a shark, you can prevent that happening. Things like that. So that game isn't really a Euro because obviously it's just, you know, like it's got a, the Euro mechanic of you want points to win. So like, you know, you're moving your, your guys to the safety so that you can eventually have an end game score. But it's also got the Ameritrash factor of like, there's these creatures around and you, people are trying to make your guys get eaten or like you might be on a boat with other people and they're like moving the boat to, you know, into a, into a whale on purpose because those are their low scoring guys and they know that your guy on the boat is the big scoring guy. So like they'll yes. sabotage themselves because they don't want you to get that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know? it's take that. You know, for me, yeah, like exactly. t- take that is an interesting one. You, mm-hmm. I suppose if on those lines you compare it as Euro is outperforming your strategy relative to another person's strategy mm-hmm. with, with some elements of maybe blocking and stuff but but that's kind of the primary and that lies on, relies on efficiency and stuff um, but then you've got a merit trash which is 
I'm going to pursue my strategy, but I'm also going to disrupt and slow down my opponent's strategy, which requires efficiency in what you're doing, but also an efficiency of analyzing and yeah, like canceling out the other. And then you've got to take that, which is like on the other end, where take that is purely um, about disrupting another player's strategy without pursuing your own strategy. Like the healthier way to do it is to do is to obviously try to try to resemble how a merit trash is balancing those out. Yeah, at its core, it's really that. And um, it's sort of, for me, almost a form of uh, banter, right? Mm -hmm. It's that you're kind of taking away like you, something someone every, wants and has. Pranking someone, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and you're, you're essentially doing like, like what Bance does is like a mean thing. So, so you know, you'd think, okay, well, where's the drummer? It's like kind of the, the context of, well, you know each other or, or you know the context of, we have to have fun. Oh, I have, I have a little bit of jab. I mess with you. Then you'll later probably screw me over. And there's, so there's the kind of, um, also the, the next little bit of lines is like, Haha, we should screw that person, this person, and that kind of little fun little interactions, right? Well, I was gonna say like, 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 especially with take that, like, people need to read the room, and like, people need to know going into it what kind of game this is. So it's, it's like a roast, you know. Like, if you shut up to your birthday party, and suddenly all your friends are talking about how ugly you are and stupid you are, and whatever, you're gonna be like. But disoriented that that's going on, you know. <laughs> but if you show up to like a comedy roast where it's like knowing that these guys are gonna like shit on you or whatever, like that's a different you know level of uh, what to expect. Yeah, it's so, a so, premise. So, yeah. yeah, so take that is like that where it's like you know going in, these people are your friends. They're not trying to hurt you, but like the whole game is about making someone else have a bad turn. So like when your buddy comes to you and he's like, ah, I'm playing this card, you lose all your pieces, or like three people gang up on you for no reason. You know, like, just because, like, you are winning or something. You must expect that that's going to happen. And, like, don't be sour about it. Because, like, that is how the game is. And it can be, like, almost a learning lesson in healthy player dynamics and facilitation where I, I can, um, you know, screw over or essentially cancel out your, your plan. I may not just target you. You know, I'll target different players for the fun of the table. And, mm. and, like, it's nice to have little rivalries, but you don't have the rivalries too competitive. Hey, we just destroy each other so we don't have fun. But it's interesting, when done correctly, it, it's a healthy form of facilitation that everyone sort of participates. And that's kind of a cool little um, group. Yeah, so building, I was going right? like, yeah, like, like I was saying, the, it's teaching people not to be a sore loser, basically. You know, yes. like, because I mean, some people, especially people who go there to win all the time, like, you know, they need to maybe try one of these games and see, like, you know, it's not always about winning. But also, like, I'm relating to that in a non-take that format. I mean, especially you, I, I, we've been the person to ask on this. How do you feel about, like, the fact that most times where there's newbies and there's a meetup or anything, the host gets ganged up on? Or, like, even at a normal game where it's like, if you know someone's played this game once before, everyone at the table is going to try and go for that person because they feel yeah. like they've got this unknown advantage, <laughs> which is probably not even true. Oh, it boils my blood. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so this is a good one. I, I, did, I actually did talk about this quite a lot. The I think, firstly, going into a game, right, the game is kind of this kind of activity that mm -hmm. takes from a point of the game starting, and it's not about what's outside of the game, who you are as a person. Like, you can have sort of meta, like, ooh, that person's like that, and ooh, you got this joke, and whatever, and they, and they like play like that, and I know that. But, you know, at, at its own, it's kind of like an isolation activity, from that because it's an emotion and a way to interact in its, in its own little box. Um, and so when you go into a game and everyone's just decided you have an advantage, we should destroy you because of you've played this game before or you played like this in previous experiences. You know, this extends to like certain, like you play like this in one game. And so people will all then necessarily always want to play a certain way with you. It sort of takes away the variety 
and enjoyment of like, well, if I'm going to start every game on the back foot and I'm going to start every game that no one's through my alley or in a social deduction game, every game where everyone assumes you're lying because you, you were, you were, you lied really well in that one game. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like, it's commonly recurring and it's at some level understandable, but I think maybe players should acknowledge, you know, as a host, you're a player, right? You're going to have fun. Every table's different. So you don't... Partly, it gets samey. Because games are varying player dynamics, right? We play this dynamic of, ooh, us versus you, or you doing that strategy, I'm doing this strategy. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we're directly confrontational. Sometimes we almost ignore each other. Mm-hmm. And then in other games like this. But when at the start, you use kind of preconceived notions of advantage mm-hmm. and say, well, we're going to set up this dynamic every time of like us versus you, or I'm going to play this way because we because you're going to play this way, or we're going to force you not to play. I think it's that. It's sort of, it's a frustration. You learn to sort of cope with it, and you're still there for fun and stuff, and it actually sort of maybe makes you less competitive. Yeah, well, like, well, you yeah, know, yeah, I know I'm going to get ganged up. Yeah, on. yeah, it's yeah. screwed. Like, my hopes are so-so, and whatever. Yeah, you become more of like a spectator than a gamer, yeah. So you can have fun with that. There's a sort of an acknowledgement that I think you and other players it's healthy to learn is that even the people teaching the game firstly they're not an expert right <laughs> I'm not some I've played yeah once m- maybe <laughs> yeah no but like I, I've, well, like, <laughs> like I've watched the YouTube video ah he's got the advantage no, yeah. he watched the video you know like go for that guy <laughs> <laughs> some people do, I know will do that but I, I, yeah. I just I just ignore it like, I, I play probably more than like most people I know and like mm. the games are so varied and you know um, games have a level of complexity and every time's different, and the play dynamics is huge, and I'm not that competitive, so I'm not trying to optimize. Like, if I see something's cool, I enjoy the optimization and playing it well, but... Well, I, I will say, like, as someone who's played it's not a lot my of goal. you, I, I yeah. think a lot of the time as well, because of this fact that you know, just in general, a lot of people will go for you, because people feel like, oh, Steven's, like, the top gamer, so if I beat Steven, then yeah, I'm Yeah, I'm not, like, so, I don't think that's super amazing. I just no, no, but I'm saying, like, you yeah, know, like, yeah. there is, like, that perception of <laughs> yes, that, because yes, obviously yes. you've played more than most people. I've noticed, like, when you play you set goals in the game for yourself. So, like, you don't say, like, I'm going to win. You say, like, oh, my goal is, like, I want to get to, like, level three of all these tech tracks. That's an achievement, like, you know, no matter what, that's something you could you could probably try to get to, you know? So, like, even if everyone's ganging up on you, you don't even retaliate. If you just go for the tech track, you win your own little personal game that you've that you've set up there. So, that's... Yeah, you nice. have to find little ways to make it fun. Like, yeah. for me, I actually, like seeing a strategy and just picking it you know it's like you play a sport yeah it's like yeah, yeah, I'm try this. Yeah, yeah that guy may be a better player or whatever or more suitable but you know that guy looks like a cool guy to play with nice person to make friends with you know you're not even like i just want to try that out like you also want to pick a good thing you, should, you don't want to be thrashed in the in the game or yeah, yeah. you know you, well even like, then sometimes that's like i mean like for instance my personal experience in a similar sort of thing to that is i used to play a lot of um dragon ball z budokai tenkaichi which is like a, a ps2 game and I had a group of like 10 friends and it got to the point where like in that game on purpose, there's super unbalanced people in the game. So like, I, well, I don't want to get too into Dragon Ball stuff, but there's like this old grandpa, uh, Roshi Sensei basically, but like he basically is like, he can barely fly. So he's super slow and he's got like one health bar and like his attacks are super slow. And then there's other guys who have like 10 health bars and they can like instantly teleport behind you as many times as they want. And like one punch will like kill you. So, like, I used to play with, like, I would play as, like, the grandpa and then play against the guy who plays, like, that guy. Like, the super strong guy. And, like, I would still beat people sometimes because, like, you know, you got to get lucky, but, like, knowing when to dodge, knowing when to do whatever. And that actually just makes you better at the game in general anyway because, like, 
if you get into this position where you're regularly playing with someone who like if they hit you once you're gonna die you get very good at dodging or you get very good at reading a move or something so like that can also be fun but i think relating to one of the other things you mentioned earlier was if people know you that you're gonna play a certain way and they play against you in that way i don't like when people do that so like that would be something that i would mention to someone like for example if i know every time i play with um like let's say my wife Whenever I play a, any game with my wife, I know she's not gonna win. Like she, but not like not like as in like she's not good. It's just she doesn't try to do the things that make you win. She likes to get resources, so she will like almost always take the thing that makes you get more resources instead of like buying a whatever something that gets you army troops or that gets you some power in the game or whatever. Like she'll just get lots of resources. So like if I'm playing against someone who I know is just gonna get resources all the time, I'm not gonna play cards that are like steal all of a certain resource or like you know like take the action that makes that person not be able to gain resources for the turn or whatever because yes, like yes. then you know you know you're just doing that because someone else is having a fun time and your your fun time is to make them not have a fun time don't be that person and same with like like you said like some people like you know obviously with my wife example that's just like a random example but like people who are playing to win like if someone's way of winning is that they whatever they make a large amount of troops and like they like to be combat focused don't be the guy that's like playing an edict that says no fighting this round or like play in such a way that you have no army so they can't even attack you and all you doing is like culture trading or whatever you know like that just makes the game not fun because you know yes you've predicted how that person's going to play but you've effectively cut them out the game because now they don't get to play their move and every turn they're just skipping their turn or taking like some random action that doesn't do anything because everyone else in the game is playing this other way you know yes. like if you are going to do that tell the person look i know you're going to try to do this i'm just letting you know i'm going to avoid combat at all costs that's how i play this game yes. and then at least they know you know but like yeah don't don't just randomly be like oh by the way guys let's implement strategy x we talked about <laughs> on whatsapp yesterday you yeah. know and then it turns out that like everyone's playing in this other way that makes it that the other guy doesn't get to play you know like yeah. don't do that so what would you say like so these are maybe things that can be player driven and if, if avoided very healthy ways to interact but what things mechanically are problematic in games so you know i mean i can sort of rapid fire um, a couple and maybe i should what, what comes to mind like the, like the, a, well, the, the first obvious one is take that like yeah, I mean, yeah. you know if you if you if that's not implemented correctly or like people aren't in the right mind yeah, space and the right um, implementation of group dynamics is also most mechanics i don't think are okay like the, there are some okay I, I could think of some one of them would be like limited player space in a worker placement game i think in general that's lazy design having a game where a big part of the game is putting a piece somewhere just so someone else can't do that move I think that's, in general, just a lazy design mechanic. Because it's like, if your game was good, everyone could do every move they want every turn, and there would be a different winner every time. You know, that's just how I feel about it. But, you know, some people like that mechanic of, like, big-braining it, of being like, ooh, I know Steven's got, like, this particular setup, so he's probably going to try to buy this land, so I'm going to buy the land, and then mm. he can't get that land now. You know, I understand yeah. some people Yeah, I think that. a lot of these but tie into the, kind of the denial, denial of fun. Yes, exactly. That, denial that denial only... of fun is a, is a very tricky mechanic to, to get through. Or limiting players' fun un- yeah. unnecessarily. Or, or not even just fun, but limiting actions. Like, Yes. Some games could be a 20 minute game, but because they've got this limiting actions part of the game, it becomes a two hour long game because every time someone's about to do a particular move, the other three players gang up on him and now he can't do that. Yes, move that, that sort of a bash the leader thing. Yeah. It can be enjoyable, but it requires sort of healthy player dynamics, people sort of knowing it exists and 
So, um, well, actually, firstly, doing as intended, bashing the person in the lead to sort of equalize the scores, create an ebb and flow as opposed to, well, they're, they're just going to bash the guy who's behind so that he'll never catch up. Like, I'll tell you an example of a really bad mechanic is some games have this mechanic where beating another player gets you a point and it doesn't matter who you beat. And that can be problematic in the sense of, like you said, if there's a character that's lead, that's lagging behind the other characters, obviously everyone's going to fight that guy every turn. Well, I've got double your army, I'm going to beat you. And then the next guy comes along and he's like, well, that guy just beat you. I'm also going to beat you because now I'm going to get a point that you don't even have an army now. That's, that's a terrible mechanic because then the person's already losing the game and now they're just going to permanently yeah. lose because everyone's taking the you know the shot at them so yeah, yeah that's like another example of like what, 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 what else would you say is on the top um most uh, feared criminal the type list you know, you know what i mean though like for me the one would be uh skip a turn the, the classic oh, yeah. you know it, mm -hmm. it's a denial of an opportunity to exercise agency in a game and participate and you know add into your own interaction i don't mind that in in certain games if it's set up in a way that it's like there's a strategic value of doing it. If it's like a risk, like let's say a player gets to take two turns, but then if they do that, they roll some dice and then there's like a risk factor of like, ah, oh, you messed up, now you actually don't get any turn. You would have had two, but you took the risk and you stuffed up, now you don't get any turn. Like that's fine. Or like another interaction could be like, you take two turns now and then you skip your next turn. Or, or like maybe something where it's like, people take a vote. Like there's a one-time thing in the game where this card comes up and part of the card says one player or everyone votes. If the votes tally up against a certain player, that player doesn't get to have a turn, but they get double resources or something, you know, like where there's like a trade-off and it's done in a fair way. Like, yeah. I think that's fine. Like, for example, if there was like a thing in Dune where it was like, you know, maybe there's some sort of mechanic in the game where you get a card that says you choose a player, that player doesn't get to play their turn, but they get all the current spikes on the board. You know, like that could be like yes. a cool card in the game and it's a once-off card. Like you don't use yes, it. Yes. You can't just play it all the time. Like I think that's fine if they have that mm -hmm. limiting thing. Yeah, the limitation of these moments can sometimes make them something enjoyable and savored. Yeah, and I think yeah. as well, like, I mean, for me personally, it's not such a problem, but I understand where some people come from with this. Randomized games that have risk, risk mitigation, but not enough risk mitigation. So for example, there's a lot of games where it's like, even if you roll, like, let's say you roll a d20 and you roll a 1, and that's like the worst you can get. Even if you roll a 1, you still hit the person for some damage. You know, like, that's that's a good way of implementing that. But if it's like, if you roll anything less than a 9, you get nothing. You can get all these armors and these things that add to your score and blah, blah, blah. But even the final turns of the game where you've got all the bonuses you can get, you could still roll a 1 and not get to hit the person even though you've got plus eight, because now your plus eight puts you at nine and not 10, which means you don't hit. That, that factor in a game can be very annoying, where it's like you have overwhelming odds and you still fail. You know, like a lot of people, I can see why they don't like that, especially if it's one of these longer games. Like if it's a game like, let's say Dune, you've got overwhelming odds and, you know, for some reason, something happens where a player plays a card that says, oh, you, you don't get to count your force for this turn, whatever. Like instantly they win the battle or they've got your betrayer card. That betrayer card mechanic thing is that the way that that is implemented is really good because everyone gets one and yeah. one is fine but if that was like an every turn kind of thing where it's like oh there's like a 10 percent chance every single time you fight someone they're going to play that card and then you just automatically lose it that would pe people would not want to play that game as much because of that you know that implementation of it like let's say like i think as you said like denial of resources denial of turns and losing even though you did the best stuff that you could have done
Yeah. Depending on the game. Like, obviously, some games, it's like, you're expecting that, you know, it's a wacky game, you're going to lose, it doesn't matter. Then it's fine. But if it's, like, a strategic game and that happens to you, that can really feel damaging and, like, sour your experience of the game. And the big boy, the player elimination. This uh, has always yes. been controversial. <laughs> for, for me, personally, let's, like, let's I actually let's don't mind that. Yeah. yeah, like, in a game like Werewolf, let's say. Yeah. Like, if I am one of the werewolves and there's two other werewolves and it's, like, a 20-person game or whatever the hell the max, whatever amount is, or a reasonable amount... And I know I'm, I'm out the first round and I'm going to be sitting there for another five hours not playing the game. I actually don't mind because I enjoy watching games. You know, like I watch board game people on YouTube and Twitch and stuff. So for me, I, I liken it to that experience, but like it's a live event. So it's kind of like, you know, if you go imagine like listening to a song versus like going to a concert and seeing the person perform the song. You aren't playing an instrument. You're watching someone else play it, but it's like... It's fun. It's like in person. You get to see it happening. And you even get to comment on it. Like board games are even better than a concert in that sort of sense of interaction where it's like, you know, I may be out the game, but I know who's a werewolf. And I can like, even though I'm not in the game, I can sow a bit of dissent and be like, I still want the werewolves to win because that's my team. So I might go to a guy who I know isn't the werewolf and be like, hey, good luck, man. And then like, everyone's like, oh, why did he do that? You know, like, <laughs> Don't worry about it, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or like, you know, like, like something funny like that. Like you could still influence the game a bit. Or like, you can like, you know, again, so a bit of descent where it's like people are like gunning for a guy and you know he's a werewolf, but you can be like, yeah, guys, uh, I don't know, hey, like he did say that one thing or like, you know, like make a little side comment, you know? So like, they're over the shade. Yeah, or even if like, I mean, obviously some people don't like that in the game. So like, you might have a house rule or whatever to say like, if you're out, you, you're considered dead. You don't get to talk at all. You don't get to do anything. Just watching the game and being like, looking at cards or like being like, hey, can I see what you have? And you're like, oh, oh, yeah, you got all oh, the information cool, now, cool. right? Yeah, so like, you know how the game is playing out. Like, that can be even more fun than playing the game sometimes. So I, I don't mind yeah. player elimination if it's like that. But for me, like, I find it's, maybe it's about how my brain works. I like sort of constant engagement mm-hmm. and I find the, the activity itself almost facilitates my, my way I interact and perform socially in a way. And so when I'm sort of sitting out, I kind of detract from the experience a bit. I'm like, well, I don't have to really... I don't have the big incentive to track what everyone's doing and myself and I don't yeah, have, tune out a bit. I can't really like talk about like my turn and you know how you know I'm going to do this to you and that mm-hmm. so I suppose for me that's my contrast as a person is how, that how do you feel about um one versus many games like if you played like Fury of Dracula or like uh, one versus many so my experience is uh, somewhat limited I like the idea, but I find the the implication can be questionable or tricky, and so I veer a bit away. I think the thing with one versus many is you're reliant on one player to facilitate the core mechanics of the game, essentially, yeah. because they are the challenge. They are facilitating what you're playing against. Yeah, so like if you play, like for instance, I was trying to use Fury of Dracula as an example. The whole point in that game is like one guy's Dracula and the other guys are trying to find and kill Dracula. If the player who's Dracula is not a good player of games that's going to be a very, very short game. Uh, I, in that sense, I understand what you're saying, but even, even the other way around, if the person playing Dracula is like the most experienced board game at the table and he just annihilates everyone every turn or whatever, or he's yeah, just yeah. so good at the game that everyone else is like, no yeah. chance, then it's not fun either. So, so it's yeah. reliant on experience mm-hmm. and it depends, but the, the thing about one versus many is the one has got to be very well like developed, but fairly so because there's sometimes an imbalance where either being the one is super fun and super interesting, and and, 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 and then the main yeah, is yeah, like and there's all these, everything's about them, and yeah. sometimes 
Or it's, or it's like you get the god powers where it's like you could just kill some other player in the game yeah, or yeah. whatever. But uh, I find that the, it's some clue giving to have this problem where it's super fun to give the clues and stuff and kind of lame to respond but for me ach, I use the social to facilitate that yeah. deficit. So like, then, like, like, like would you say Codenames is one of those kind of games where you yeah, or Mysterium I guess? Yeah. Yes, Mysterium was an example mm-hmm. where the problem was well, you didn't, you one didn't person's like... facilitating it and they're kind of doing a really fun thing but they're not engaged in the social so they miss out mm-hmm. on the social although you could argue they're enjoying this like yeah, secretly yeah. watching the discussion yeah i'm more. like oh I yeah, this, yeah, this, yeah. Card, this card has so many uh, keys on it and they're talking about no, locks instead of head. keys if only they knew <laughs> those poor souls if only they knew yeah. or maybe you're bubbling out of frustration like you idiots how do you not see it you're like this is one piece that's right on there and it relates to the previous card i played and like yeah, you know. yeah. those typical things but and it creates a, also a scenario where it's one person not play solitary versus one cooperative and the thing is like all your friends are playing as a team and creating a group discussion but you're isolated away from that you know i think about pandemic has uh, the biohazard thing where it's a really cool secret bad guy but the problem is is that if you want to engage socially and you know everyone else is playing the main game and you're the game of like well i can't really tell everyone what i'm doing i'm the bad guy yeah, yeah. So you're kind of sitting out socially some people might actually and this is where you can think of like a mechanic there's a mechanic everyone may enjoy and a game that everyone will enjoy and that's the beauty of board gaming is you can find your niche mm. is because they might some people might enjoy that kind of just hey lay back do mechanics and some people enjoy just like yeah <laughs> I don't know what they're in for. I'm going to put them for hell. <laughs> yeah, but also, like, I mean, even within that, like, you know, yeah. some people enjoy not having to make decisions in a game. Like, you know, some people yes, like yes. to play a co-op game where they feel like they're part of the team, but they don't really do anything. Like, they just yes, listen the to ride, the strategies and, and, like, you know, they say, like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Or, like, or they yeah. have, like, their one part of the game where, like, they're good at this one particular type of move that needs to happen. They sit around, and when that move comes up, they're, like, in it, and they do their part of the game. And then they feel fulfilled that they've done yes. that one part, you know, like, and then they can sit back and everyone else plays the game now, you know? Yes, that it does. Some games give the opportunity to give someone, you know, that thing that really excites them because it just brings everything they want in a game that they can't find elsewhere. And they can play a game they enjoy while people who enjoy a different type of game can be at the same game because you have different roles yeah, and identities, and, essentially. Yeah, It's but, like, for instance, Captain Sonar, I think is a good example of that, where, like, it's, you know, it's like a live, fast-paced game and there's a lot of shouting or whatever. You know, it's a game where you, you, you know, you're simulating being in a submarine and fighting another submarine. Just like, Yes, there's no context. experience like it. Yelling, excitement. Yeah, but, but also, humor. like, everyone's got their role on the team. Like, one guy's role is he's tracking the other team's movements. So he's trying to figure out where they could be in the map and there's another guy who's like reloading the missiles and like taking shots and whatever and then there's the captain who's got to like give orders to the people to tell them when to do the things that they need to do so like each role in that is different and some people might really enjoy being the captain and giving orders and someone else might really enjoy the the act of trying to figure out where the opponent's sh- submarine is yes. based on the movement that's going you can on. Yeah. So they're almost the one in the in the many in a in a team environment in that sense. Yeah, they're yeah, tracking yeah. what they're doing. Your team's tracking what you're doing. I do find though it's sometimes a variety can take a hit if someone is so suited to a role that they're always going to play that role. Yeah. And yeah. Either it's because uh, they're so you, good at it. Or... Yeah, yeah. It's that like, or they'll insist because they have more fun with it, or they're just yeah. more appropriate at it. And you don't get really to try that. And you know, if you've got a game with like four roles and you yeah, really you... can only play two of the roles, you're missing half the game. Yeah, yeah, can yeah, be, yeah. Sure. Yeah, one off is fine, but I suppose that's the one versus many sort of dilemma. Yeah, I think as well, like. just to advise people who have that situation like if it gets like that with that particular game just like try and get those people into a different game like that can also be hard like you know you get those people who like you know we play with someone for instance who only plays dune 
So, like, if you're not playing Dune, that guy's not going to come to the game night, you know? Yeah. So, like, you do get some people like that. But, I mean, you know, at some most people are more willing where it's, like, you know if you play whatever, this particular game, that guy's always going to be the role X. But if you play some other game that doesn't have that role, then it's more free. Like, you know, everyone's going to get a random role and it doesn't matter because, you know, that, that guy can just choose some other thing now. So, like, suggesting those other games is, 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 is a good way to, to go as well. Yes. So, this maybe we can talk about a bit of asymmetry. What is good and bad about asymmetry? Because uh, it's actually, it's very popularized now. And people will mostly talk about the good. And I think we should talk about both. Like, what does it add to the table? What does it detract from the table? Well, I think, I mean, balance is a big thing. And, um, so, yeah. So, like, you know, like, there's a lot of games where one role might be, like, way easier to win with than all the other roles in the game. You know, not on purpose. Like, some games are asymmetric on purpose where it makes it more difficult for the skilled gamer to win. And I, obviously that makes sense. If it's a game where it's, like, every role is supposed to be balanced, but some random guy goes and looks on Board Game Geek and there's some particular strategy with this one guy that always wins. Like for instance, in Blood Rage, there's asymmetric card powers that you get over time. And there's a very well-known strategy, which is the Loki strategy, um, you know, where you play as Loki. And in that game in general, they're actually they're negative towards you. Like they hinder your strategy. Yeah, they'll but, kill off your units. And yeah, but, but if you take all of those negative cards, they actually become OP and no one can beat you when you get them. So what happens is like, especially when you're playing with new players and one of the players knows that strategy, they'll take that role and then they'll be taking the worst cards in the game and like killing themselves on purpose and giving other players points for free by yes. doing that. And other players are doing the typical way to win, fueling their strategy because they... Yeah, because no one's going to take the bad cards. Yeah, yeah. You know... but also like <laughs> as they're playing, like, those players are killing off their units, they're happy because every, everyone's doing what they want to, but they're getting the double winner, doing what they want to and other people helping them do what they want to. And... Yeah, and that, that makes them win because yes, obviously yes. like they're getting double the points when they do that. Because in that particular strategy, those cards are objectively bad for every other type of strategy besides this, the Loki strategy. No one's going to want those cards. Yeah. So, like, no one's going to on purpose take a card that says you lose more units or whatever, right? So, like, that just makes it easier for a player who knows how to win with those cards to just always take that, those cards. When you play a few times, obviously, people know about that strategy. So, they'll be like, ooh, okay, he got the first card of the Loki strategy. I'm going to take the second one just to make sure he doesn't win by doing this every turn. You know, so like, then it's fine. So yeah, some asymmetry is, is a bit more of a runaway. Yes. And there are, I mean, I can't think of any modern examples of games where it's like well known that any time you play with this particular race, they win. You know, like, but yeah. that, that I'm sure there are games out there like that. You know, there's yeah. some games where it's like the way to win with them is easier than any other way. Or like, it's inevitable where like they just, the game was badly designed and this particular asymmetric power will always win if the players are good at the game. Yes. So, you know... That is the negative side of things. It's like, you know, there's that. <laughs> and so the, so the good. I'm a big asymmetric. A lot of my favorite games are asymmetric. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I think for me, it's like, it creates a unique experience. But also, everyone brings something different to the table. And that's quite fun. And everyone is, is winning the game. It depends. Sometimes in a different way. Sometimes they have powers that are so overpowering their base. A strategy around it. It's, it creates interactions as opposed to just strategy and the uh, it creates um unique scenarios that are memorable well i, I think also yeah. the replayability of like if you've yeah. got 17 races in a game you know and let's say there's max four players and let's say you always play as max there's like 17 factorial over four or whatever different combinations of the ways that those races can work in the game so like you'll still get the same basic feel of how the game works but there'll be that uniqueness of like oh 
this card is in, or this race is in the game this time, and they have a particular strategy that actually clashes with another race, and like they're both going to be vying for the same resource now because they need it for different reasons. So like that could be an interesting, unique thing that happens in the game that you've never seen before because normally that particular resource is useless to everyone or whatever. You know, so that's quite interesting. Even just like in general, replayability is important in game. So like even in a game like like Catan, for instance, where one game wheat might be like everywhere and no one wants it because it's like to use to upgrade cities or whatever and like no one needs that card but there could be another game where it's like only one person has access to wheat and it's on like a terrible number to roll so they just never get that number and then that wheat resource becomes like impossible to get so no one can win by doing cities or getting development cards or whatever so like some people might then start trying to like build near a port just so that they can get the port so they can trade three of a resource to get one wheat you know, yes, like, yes. So, like, that can also be a very different game. So, with Reaper Layability, you have also this concept of variety. And I think these are two very different but often overlapped things. Replayability is your desire to replay a game and to get an experience that you don't get bored of, that mm-hmm. holds your attention, and it's purity. So, variety is often tied into that because if you're doing different things and you have new things to consider, you know, as our brain sort of works, you know, we're looking for different types of stimulation. Variety is just the broad um, sort of horizon of how many different scenarios could you end up playing through through multiple games. You know, can I pick a different strategy every time? Can I have unique power every time? Yeah, I think a good example of like replayability versus variety, I would say, is a game like Dominion would be variety, where like there's like 50 expansions and like you can play with one of each of them, one of them at the same time, or whatever, like, you can change the various game pieces, which is the variety. But then you can get a game like chess, where, you know, the pieces are the same every single time, but there's so many thousands of chess strategies over the thousands of years that the game's been around, but people still play it, because there's, like, new there's new strategies coming out that people thought of, or, like, there's new ways to play the game, or whatever. So, like, even though it's the same game and the same pieces every time, every game is different. Yeah, I'd say that's where I would say the separation of variety versus replayability comes in. Yep. But a lot of games use variety to cause replayability, where they'll be like, every year there's a new, or every three months, basically, there's, like, a new Warhammer Army update, where, like, there's a new piece that comes out, or there's a new rulebook errata or something. And, like, you know, that constant changing and updating of pieces. Or, like, in a card game, like Magic the Gathering or whatever, there's a new set that comes out all the time. And all the cards in that set do a new thing that hasn't existed before in the yes. game. So, like, they're adding new pieces to make the game replayable. See, my worry in, in, with uh, variety is I find it can be used as a crutch for replayability. Yes, Well, yes. If, if a game has... If you've seen it all the first time, or there's little incentive to play it again, well, if we just add more stuff, the problem is the stuff is not necessarily adding fun fact or fixing the problems with the game and the lack of attention grabbing aspect to it. I, I feel like as well like there's some games where a core mechanic of the game might be something that a player doesn't like and they can be misled into thinking that an expansion somehow changes that core mechanic. So like there's some games where like let's say you don't like I don't know worker placement or something. If that game has a problem in the game as well as the fact that it's got the worker placement like let's say the worker placement is something you don't like but there's another part of the game that is just broken in the game a lot of times people will say oh you have to play with this expansion because that fixes this one issue in the game so you might think oh the expansion is going to make me like this game now but then you buy the expansion and you play it the core mechanic of worker placement is obviously still in the game and you don't like that so that's not going to fix that 
but it fixes the broken part of the game of like some other thing that didn't really affect your way of playing it. So that's something that a lot of people I think are misled on, especially when they see all these reviews of like, oh, don't play this game unless you play with, with the expansion or whatever. Yeah, like, you got to yeah. have that otherwise, you know, it's Yeah, it's yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I think one game that I saw a lot of with that was um, uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak. Where, like, the game by itself is, like, a, an award-nominated game. Like, it's, like, a, a very, very good game. But Arnak Leaders came out uh, to get the expansion for Arnak because that fixes this problem. And then if you didn't like the original yeah. game because of the mechanics, you're not going to like the expansion either. Like, the expansion just adds more of that style of play. But I think a, a good example of, like like you're saying, where people add variety to force replayability, maybe Dominion or, like, there's certain games where that is a good example of that. Where, like, when you play the base game... There's only so much you can do. So, like, you play the whole game. You've done all the things you can do in the game. Trying a different strategy is not going to make a difference because you're still going to end up doing what you've just done, right? So, like, that game is not replayable. But then they add pirates or they add merchants or whatever. And, like, each of those things is one new thing. But if you played the game with it in the game originally, it still doesn't make it replayable because you can still do all the things in the game. So, like, there isn't, like, an expansion that gets added that adds a whole new strategy. You know, like, some games do have that, of course. But a lot of games just don't. Kickstarter is a big crowdfunding um, platform for games. You know, the mm. idea was um, smaller developers. Um, they won't have if people don't know them and they don't have vast resources. They don't have the funds to develop a game. Games are expensive, and um, Kickstarter is used for a lot of different things: video games, all sorts of inventions. Let's say a random listener here has an idea for a novel that they want to write, and they've got the basics down. And they, you know, have worked out the costs and got quotes from publishers and all that stuff to say, like, how much it will cost to get their book done. They can go make a Kickstarter and say, like, look, I need this much money. If you, whatever, donate towards the game, there's, like, tier lists. Like, let's say, or not the game, the book. Let's say you're writing a book, right? $15 gets you a signed postcard, thank you from me. Or, like, $100 gets your name in the back of the book as a credit. Or whatever, $200 gets you blah, blah, blah. And, like, you know, obviously, if you back, you normally get a copy of the book as part of the back. So, like, you get the product as well as helping fund it. When they reach that funding goal, they can then take that money that people have given them based purely on the fact that they have an idea, make that idea come into life by paying the publisher and getting their book out there and blah, blah, blah. Kickstarter can be used in that way just for anything, music projects, yes. whatever. What are your thoughts on uh, Kickstarter as itself? The good, the bad? To go specifically after that into the board game context of it is there's a lot of companies who, you know, they've got an idea for a game and the game is fully fleshed out and all they need is money to get the pieces printed in China and get the money for shipping to ship it to your house. So like you back it, it hits, it hits the goal, they've got everything lined up, they do it, it's done, right? Unfortunately, that is not always the way that things work. I'd say it only works that way like 60% of the time. A lot of the time, there's unforeseen circumstances. So like COVID happens and now shipping prices are like five times what they were expected to be. So now these people don't have enough money to get you the game, you know, like then you've pretty much lost your money or, you know, they might ask you for more money now because now that you need to pay more for this game. Um, so there's that. But there's also like some certain predatory companies, like for example, Simon is one of the big ones, C-M-O-N. They purposely, they're a huge company. They don't need to be on Kickstarter. Like they are a multi-million dollar company. But they use Kickstarter because they have, on Kickstarter you can have exclusives. So like, because you backed the game before it existed and you waited two, or you're willing to wait two years to get the game and you know, you're giving your money on a game that might not get made, etc. Like you're putting a bit of risk in, they have these exclusive things for the game. And the exclusives are always the things that everyone wants. So like for example, uh, Zombicide had like a Marvel Zombies version of the game where you know, they had like this gigantic Galactus statue, which is like, whatever 50 centimeters or something 
and like you only get that statue if you back the game on Kickstarter. And you know, because Kickstarter is a limited print run sort of thing, you you there's this FOMO of like if you don't pay ten thousand rand now for this game, you're not going to get all the pieces. It's gonna a lot of the time it comes to retail anyway, but there'll be those pieces that you'll never get. You'll be able to buy the game secondhand on eBay for like ten times the price because there's all these price gouges and whatever that go out there. Yeah. Like there's a lot of predatory practices on the platform as well. And especially lately, like, you know, the ramifications of COVID and all that, there's been a lot of companies that have shut down. So there's been games where people have, like, backed $400 for a game, which is, like, 10,000 Rand, and that money's just gone because the company shut down. Like, they just didn't have enough money to pay the shipping or they didn't have enough whatevers. And and it also, like, a lot of the time, this is why I talk about, like, our King of Average and, and Room and Board, because they're very critical of, like, looking if a game exists or not. Like, King of Average has a, has a saying, which is make games, not campaigns. Because a lot of these companies, they've got like four board games that they haven't shipped out yet. And now that they make a new game, put it on Kickstarter, they don't even have rules for the game. They've just got all these flashy looking plastic miniatures that you can buy. And, oh, look, you're getting 40 plastic pieces for the price of $100. Whereas normally, if you buy it in store, it's going to be $250 and blah, blah, blah. And like they make all this shit up just so that people back more money. And then they use that money to pay off their previous games that are still in the pipeline. Sneaky. Yeah. So, you know, like, and that's obviously very dodgy. So, you know, be very careful when you decide to back things. Only, I would say the best advice is, like, talk to someone who's backed a lot of games and ask them, do you think this is a good back? Like, is this a game I should support? You know, like, have you heard of this publisher? Like, do they have a bad name or whatever? Like, for instance, right now, Mythic Games is one of the big ones that, like, if they release a campaign, anyone who knows anything about Mythic Games will not back that campaign because they've currently put themselves in a situation where they've got four games and no money. So they fired already like 85% of their staff. They've asked people for more money for their games to get them shipped to them. So like they made um, Six Siege, you know, like the video game adaption or whatever. Yeah. And like the game exists, it's made, all the rules are there, everything's cool. It's just that they don't have enough money to get it shipped. So like they've even printed the games and they're sitting in China, but now they've asked people to pay them more money to ship the game to them, whereas yes. that should have originally been part of the shipping cost that they paid when they backed the game. So, you know, there's a lot of predatory stuff on there. The YouTube community in general and Facebook community is very hype train oriented. So you'll see a ton of channels, like I said, Cracker Up, Board Game Co., the BGB Facebook group, Board Game Revolution Facebook group, Board Game Geek even, all these places will be saying like, oh, this game's got this unique mechanic that's never existed before and it's going to have foil cards and 3D stuff and it's going to have all these cool printed miniatures and you can get your face on the box and all this like random nonsense. <laughs> all flashy and, things. Yeah. yeah, and then like as soon as your money's been deducted at your account, everyone's like, oh, I can't believe people backed that game. Like, you know, the guy who was running it was like Al-Qaeda, you know, like, like you know, like it's like some, all this terrible stuff suddenly comes out and like, oh, actually they haven't even fulfilled their last four campaigns now. So be very, very careful about what you read online and what board game content creators say, especially the ones who are like, oh, you know, I try to be honest with my community. Like those ones are normally the ones that are the least honest, you know? So <laughs> yeah, like, just be yeah, very just careful. say you, you're honest then, you know, are you? <laughs> yeah, and also like, you know, the number of negative versus positive reviews. If someone's putting like 80% positive reviews for games that don't exist yet and they've only played the prototype of, just be very careful about trusting those kind of people because, you know, it, it, it can be a situation where they're getting a bit of money on the side from the creator to hype up their game. And sometimes that's fine, but sometimes it's like pushing people who don't know much about a game into some, you know, situation where they're giving money that they might not even have. Because some people are like, you know, very addicted to the FOMO and stuff. And even if like they don't have the money for it, they pony it up because they think, well, flip, 
you know, I'll just, you know, not eat as much food next month because I really, yeah. really want this game. And then the game falls through and they've now yeah. just given... It reminds of, me of uni. It's like, well, do I do, I do food and entertainment or do I buy board games? Yeah. And you yeah, realize exactly. you can... So, the, 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 um, it's, it's much easier to survive. But, but, also, think, yeah. but, but also, like, I mean, even the cost of it, like, these Kickstarter and Game Fund platforms are in dollars and euros and stuff. Like, you know, if you're a yeah, South yeah, African... You know, situations where sometimes the worst thing for me is some companies will have like, you often pay shipping and the pledge manager price separately. So they'll have like the cost of the game is $50 and $0 shipping. And then when you actually have to ship the game out in six months time or whatever, that's when you'll pay the shipping because obviously that gives you a more accurate shipping cost estimate. But sometimes they'll be like, cool guys, the pledge manager is open for one week. And if you don't pay within this week, then we not, you can't get the game. We're not going to ship it. So that puts yeah. you in a situation where like you need to now suddenly pay for this thing in that time otherwise you don't get your game that's super dodgy so you know don't do don't do kickstarter if you don't have a big budget and you don't have money yes, the cash flow, yeah. yeah that you can pay for that stuff so that's a big one another thing is even if you do have the budget some of these games take like three years to arrive so like you might back a game in 2017 and then in 2020 when you've lost your job and you're like can't even pay medical aid now suddenly they're shipping and now you owe them 15,000 rand or whatever you know so like be super super careful about that kind of stuff and don't back more than like what two at a time, I would say. Like if you're making a decent amount of money, don't back more than two campaigns at a time and don't have more than six in the pipeline. So for example, like what I mean by that is have two games open that are going to be deducting money from you guaranteed within the next month or so. And then wait, like don't back more games if you're waiting for six that haven't arrived yet. When like wait for at least one to ship to you before you start backing the next one because what can happen is like, all five of those can suddenly ship at the same time. And now you owe each of those companies five grand or something. You know, like, it yeah, could be yeah. a really bad situation. So be very limited on that. And be picky as well, because a lot of these games are quote-unquote unique, but then, like, a year later, they get a reprint that's a better version. So, like, for instance, Awakened Realms, who are known as, like, super good production, super good gameplay, super reliable. They um, uh, made this game Tainted Grail, which is, like, the number one selling Kickstarter of all time. And... They recently, this year or last year, whatever, end of the year, made Tainted Grail 2, essentially, which is like an upgraded version of the game. So you could just buy this new one. So like, don't feel like you're going to miss this game now. Now you'll never see it again. Because a lot of these companies as well, they they do reprints. Like, for example, um, Townsfolk Tussle is a game that had this huge hype train behind it. And everyone said it was so great and whatever. And then they made an expansion to the game. And as part of the expansion, they gave away all their Kickstarter exclusives from the initial game. So you could just get the initial game with the exclusives and the expansion with the new exclusives. Like, you didn't really miss it. So don't fall into that FOMO because a lot of these companies act like it's this one-time thing and then they bring it back. My thoughts on sort of Kickstarter is, I think it's it's cool. I love that smaller companies can get funded and also that games that people, fans really want, someone can pick up and be like, cool, well, there's enough popularity. Now I'm able to. It's cool that there's exclusives. My question thing about exclusives is the worry about holding back content. The exclusive thing. Exclusives should only be art or aesthetic stuff. That's how I feel about it. Like, yes, because my, my worry with Kickstarter is I want a game, um, but I can't get everything. And that's mm -hmm. quite problematic because you feel like you're getting a lesser experience. Well, not even that, but like sometimes the Kickstarter exclusive part of the game is the part that makes the game complete. You know, like normally it's the other way around where like a game actually works better without the Kickstarter expansions because a lot of the time they hurry that into the game and like it, it's unbalanced. And yeah, whatever. sometimes it blows so, the experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So sometimes like they're not good, but there can be cases where like the, the non-Kickstarter version of the game doesn't have this one mechanic that makes the game fun. And like because it's not in the base game now... 
you know, you've missed that. So they, some companies rely on that. And Simon is a big one that does that. So be careful of them. What, what are your favorite games? I'll give it like top... Okay, so just give people a feel for your... Yeah, yeah. A top three off the top of my head. Well, I, I, it's, okay, instead of saying games, I'd rather say like some genres and then I'll say games. Epic fantasy, space battling, strategy, randomness as well, certain times, war games, and like fun social deduction games as well as another one. So my top three would be probably Twilight Imperium 4, Rising Sun, and uh, Architects of the West Kingdom. I'd say that's probably my top three. And those are quite varied games. Like, they're very, very different. Like, yes. Like, that's, that's good. It shows you've got a, a, a pat, wide palette. Yeah, yeah like, well, Rising Sun and, and TI4 are kind of similar in the sense that they're both sort of, like, 4X war games. But the theme's obviously very different, and the way that you go about the resource management and expansion and stuff in those games is very different. And then uh, Arctics of the West Kingdom is completely not like either of those games. It's like a worker placement strategy, Euro-y kind of a game. So, like, from my side, I yeah. think I'll just, I'll go, I'll go games with genres. All-time favorite, Cosmic Encounter, which is a negotiating and combat-orientated game. With a lot of chaos. <laughs> lo- lots of crazy moments, chaos. It's just about, it's that old-school design where they care more about fun than balance. And it's it's cleverly implemented. I get bash the leader, and it's just for me very social sort of mechanism. One night werewolf, also social deduction, find the variety and kind of the craziness and the unpredictability and the fact that people who start as bad guys may not end as bad guys. So now the bad guys are paranoid about what's going on, <laughs> and they're lying. And in that game also, you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to hide in the background and keep quiet because someone's going to ask you, well, what do you know? What is your information the game's given you? Well, mm, nothing, I don't know. And <laughs> unless you're trying to get killed, not a good plan, which one player might be. And then uh, Guy Project, just because it's, uh, it's funny. It's the most fun you can have in complete silence with your friends. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that's quite a big contrast between yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy Project I, I, and One-Eyed like Werewolf. <laughs> yeah, just deep strategy. It's just mm. long-term planning, but also tactical. But it's tactical not because of randomness. It's tactical because of response to other players' actions while taking a... The game gives you a bit of... I sometimes like this where you get like kind of a machine you're given and you're just kind of playing it out and running this kind of F1 McLaren is, is to the full enjoyment that you can rather than just constantly picking cars. And June. June is just... Uh, yeah, that, that's, same that, developers that, that's one thing I did want to note is that neither of us put Dune in our top four, but that I would say that has potential to be my favorite game. It, it is my favorite game with a particular crowd of people. Yes, that's like when I'm cap. playing Dune is my favorite game when I'm playing with you and Denver and Josh and like all these other people that we play with in our particular little group. That's when that is my favorite yes, game. It's cool because the asymmetry is based on core mechanics like economy. Some people are super rich, some people are super poor. Some people are super combat orientated. It's got teams. I love teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, verse teams games. I, I love because yeah, it's competitive. Um, not just all lovey-dovey um, cooperative, <laughs> which sometimes is fun. Another one I love, Dead of Winter. Um, the Long Night specifically because of the extra flashy bits or whatever. It's got cool little like story events that come up and cool little um, secret goals and some people hiding information. In deck building, you mentioned, um, and this worker placement, which, funny enough, is a very controversial genre for me, um, is uh, Dune Imperium. Uh, we have to play it sometime. It's yeah, sure. It's a classic. Just a very cool, probably the best mesh of 
work placement and deck building in a thematic experience with a bit of combat just to add that spice it's competitive and my last one is captain sona the classic two teams of up to four people with four being the ideal all asymmetric all working together towards a common goal it's real time so it's exciting there's adrenaline yeah. things go wrong which is actually almost designed into it moments of glory excitement and it's just kind of our teamwork another team in its purest form with beautiful asymmetry clever mechanics and thoroughly engaging till the last moment yeah, yeah. I, I would say that that game is like the pinnacle of real-time co-op game yes like it's very much if you are a well-oiled machine you will win that game like it's like a very yeah i agree with you it's a very fun game as well it's very epic it's very like People are sweating, they're shouting at each other, they're like, yeah. where are they? Like, what's going on? You know, like trying to figure stuff out. And like, and like while the shouting's going on, someone's going to be like listening to the other team shouting, you know? And yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, it's a whole thing. It's, a, it's like a, almost a love-hate, like, oh, your, your team, you're so celebrating, and like, oh, you guys all suck. And then you're like, yeah. oh, man. And then yeah. everyone's like, relying on everyone, so it's like, oh, I want to use all the cool weapons. Yeah, we found them, let's blow them up. And the yeah, dude's yeah. like, yeah, sorry, man, the weapon system's not working. It's like, okay, cool, don't worry, we'll, we'll just find them. Um, and keep track of them so they don't get away well sorry the location services aren't working but hey no, they don't know where we are but we can use uh, silence and escape for no reason yeah. but yeah. have you um, have you played two rooms on a boom yes oh that's also one of my favorites it's the ultimate icebreaker it's chilled there's a timer but basically president and bomber one team wants them together because they're the terrorists one team wants them apart people are moving between two locations and what's beautiful is everyone, well, the way I like to play it has a little ability. You just share a card with someone, you know, you share what you're special about you, what you know, what team you're on if you want to. It's just that kind of agreement. I can just walk around to a random person, like we're at a dinner party. Hey, that yeah. person in the corner, they look fun or they look yeah, like, like they're name, sneaky. <laughs> you know, I'll go to you. Hey, how are you doing? Yeah, and also to like... And you, you play. And it's fun. And, and there's that... That captain-y thing so that you know everyone's yeah. trying to get s s their inside man in charge and yeah yeah but there's also like uh one of the things i also like about it is like you know people will make deals and be like i'll show you the color of my card if you you know promise to tell me at least one other person that you know that is the same color as me you can be like really off about it and be like you know what like i'm blue team and like you don't have to show people your role so you can just be like i'm blue team i know you blue team that guy's red team. Like, let's just vote him to the other room. And like, it's the like a game you... of Survivor, isn't it? Yeah, like, like has spoken. Yeah, like the person that you've quote unquote voting to the other room is like the bomber that's about to be in the same room as the president. You, you can, can hear their rooms. cries for help in the distance as you ship them off to another country. One of the things that I remember a lot is at my old school, there used to be like a youth guidance religion sort of like mini office where people could go and like, it was supposed to be useful people to like get into religion or whatever. But like me and my friends who are like, pretty much don't care about that stuff at all we used to always go there to play games because they had a foosball table and like a playstation and all this other random stuff so we went there and i just because we were there all the time the people who were like running the thing obviously like you know then you were never getting gonna get into religion but they're still like nice people and stuff so one of those guys was a board gamer because in this particular religion there's a time of the year or whatever where they aren't allowed to use technology so obviously because they can't use electricity and stuff they have board games. This guy introduced me to Catan. Actually, it was the first board, like proper board game I ever played. Um, I played Monopoly and stuff before, obviously, but like Catan's the first modern game that I was like, wow, this is super fun. Yeah. And uh, we got into that. We used to play it like every single day. 
for like months at a time where we just that's all we played yeah. and then I that was in like maybe like grade 10 or 11 and then obviously I you know sort of got more into studies and stuff and whatever and I didn't really get back into board games but I just I remember that there was this alternate world that I just didn't know about and then when I started earning money that's when I was like okay cool I'm gonna go buy this game so I looked up where to get it and I went to a local store and while I was there I saw this like all these other games I'd never even seen or heard of and that's kind of how I got into it but I feel like these days the way most people get into it is like you know, a lot of people already are like nerds and they know about Marvel or Pokemon or whatever. The channels that, that push that stuff will have a website where they sell those games or whatever. And then they go to that site and then they see all these other products on the site and, you know, they relate to it that way. Or, you know, a lot of people have a friend of a friend who's into it and that kind of thing. So it's grown a lot more organically now and it's a lot more exponential than when when I got into the hobby. And like, you know, this was probably like maybe 2008, 2009 when I first played that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so now, especially with internet being more accessible in South Africa, particularly, um, you know, there's a lot, it's a lot easier to find that stuff. And I mean, like, you know, I went to Comic-Con the other day, for instance, which is like, you know, Comic-Con is obviously meant to be about comics and comic book characters, but they had like two different board game stores on the top floor. Uh, it, it, like people were discovering it that way. You go to the board game store all the time because you're buying, you know, Pokemon cards. Even though it's in your, it's in their face, a lot of them don't interact with it because they just don't have friends that play it. It's got a bit of awareness, but not. It's not something that people get into because it's like you can buy a four-player game, and because no one else plays or no one else wants to play, you've now spent whatever seven hundred or a thousand rand or whatever on this game that is not going to see daylight. I think usually a good way to get into it is either as a full-on adult, you go to an event where people are playing games and you're specifically into that, or you go with your four friends who are all at going to the same shop buying Pokemon cards all the time. And you're like, you know, guys, like. There's like 50 other games here. Let's just like ask the storekeeper, like we play Pokemon, what do you think is good for us? And then he'll recommend like a four player game that we all chip in money for and we get. So like a low stake investment, I guess. I, I just, yeah, I feel like it's, 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 it's kind of this like nitrogen in the air, you know, like it's all around people, but they just don't interact with the nurse there. And that's, you know, that's where uh, I think we lose the, the bigger market of like card gamers and other things that don't cross over into board games. Yeah, that's the one thing in sort of um, these sort of hobbies and the, I suppose the geek sphere is that board gamers often know or actually also be war gamers or trading card gamers and so there's often people will be in multiple ones and then other pe times people will be totally like anti the other one yeah like for um, example like millions of people watch marvel movies but like they don't read the comic books or like they don't even know that there's marvel games or they don't even know that there's cosplay that people go and like dress up as characters you know so it's the initiative is on the, the consumer or the person find out like hey i really really like Marvel. Let me go read a comic or, you know, whatever. So, um, this point, here we can wrap up. Any, uh, last, um, things you'd like to say to the audience? Don't, don't buy Kickstarters, back secondhand games, play other people's copies of games, etc, etc. Once you've gotten a lot of games played, then start looking at spending money on board games. You can play for free, go to the meetups, you know, join the WhatsApp groups, get your friends to come as well, and, yeah, it's a very inexpensive hobby. You can make it expensive, like, obviously, me and Steven kind of have, but, uh, you can make it completely free other than travel cost, I guess.